Hello, and thanks for pressing play on this episode of the Jock and Nerd Podcast. We interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to travel back to the year 2003. Remember 2003, listener? 50 Cent was blowing up. A guy named Bartman catches a ball and is uh, becomes Cubs fan's number one enemy. Arnold Schwarzenegger is elected as governor of California. And Ben Affleck gets his first shot at a superhero movie. Oh, yes. It's the latest entry into our What the Fuck Happened series as Matt Delhauer masterfully recaps the Daredevil movie. And we try to figure out what the fuck happened all in this edition of the Jock and Nerd Weekly for Friday, September 22nd, 2017. Hey, that light at the end of the tunnel, guess what? That's not heaven. I'm killing you, I'm killing you. That's the sea train. I'm killing you. Why are you putting people through this? Check. Check one. All right. This is really fans out there. Let's give it up. Yeah, what's up? How's it going? Welcome back to another awesome episode of the Jock and Nerd Podcast. Jock and Nerd! The weekly geek show where we give you comic book news, reviews, and interviews every week. That's why it's weekly. I just said that. Why am I repeating myself? Because my name is Imran. And my name's Anthony. <laughs> He's the jock. He's a nerd. And joining us, very special guest. Haven't heard from this cat in quite a while. I've missed him. He's a longtime contributor to the show, a listener, a Patreon supporter, the official ginger geek of the Jock and Nerd podcast. It's Matt Delhauer. What's up, Matt? What's up? <laughs> in his best rug boy. You do the best rug boy person. How's it going? Wowie zowie. Yeah, see, rug boy, rug boy would approve. Uh, no, that's not the right button. Here's the rug down. Here's the rug down. See, here's it's... the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just go on a rug boy rant. <laughs> well, look, if you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. Uh, what we usually do on the show is go over, like, geek news. We review comic book and superhero related and other fun geeky TV shows. We talk to cool people. And then we do very special episodes like this one. You've seen the title. You're probably very excited. Uh, this is our latest entry into our What the Fuck Happened series. Geek boner. This is number seven, guys. We got to seven. That's very, that's very good. Woo! This is uh, just a little past the official two-year mark for it. Yeah, yeah. We've been doing like three a year. This would make it like three a year. We did like one the first year, uh, about there, every every quarter or every third. Or what's a third of a quarter? What's a fifth third? Oh my, I hate no, that don't bank's do this. name. Don't do this. Because well, I would not give my money to a bank that can't figure out fucking fractions, fifth third bank. Figure it out. Uh, anyways, what we're going to do. What are we talking about? This ep- what we're talking about what we're going to do this episode wow. is uh, our What the Fuck Happened series where we take a high profile comic book bomb of a movie and try to figure out what the fuck happens. And I love these shows because Matt Dalhauer does all the legwork. He brings the heat. Uh, you teased on Twitter. This movie and Jimmy Graben was already very excited. So he was said, Adam. 
Adam oh, Morris. Adam Morris Dr. was excited. Doctor Adam Morris, PhD, the official science podcast advisor of our podcast. So, and I, we're very excited because we get to uh, relive these horrible movies. Before we get to the uh, wait, what movie are we doing? We're going to do Daredevil from two thousand and three, before the Netflix Daredevil in that weird time where they really didn't still know how to make comic Daredevil. book movies. I where we were doing the Devil's Rejects. Fuck. Oh, not the Rob Zombie movie. No. That's a good movie. 2003, a time where people thought you could wear leather and be a superhero. Yeah, what else happened in early 03? It was a carryover from, it was still the 90s. You know, there were still effects of the 90s, especially when we get to the cast. You'll see what I'm talking about. Oh my about. God, not even that. Yeah, <laughs> the whole thing. But look, before we start the what the fuck happened, before we get to Dahlhauer's masterful recap, I just want to mention for the new listener, if you want to check out our normal show, check out the last two episodes because we got a lot of great geek news. And we are, Anthony and I are, I think, are the, some of the last people on earth to start watching Game of Thrones. So we've been reviewing Game of Thrones. Uh, we got two seasons in. That, we did. And I'm, I'm not far. Not I'm from only, reviewing it. Or not yes. from watching it, just from reviewing it. Uh, see, I, I didn't mind if you guys wanted to do that before we did the movie, just because there was one thing I really wanted to bring up about the, you guys talking about Game of Thrones. Bring we'll it up. All this. Well, well, we'll do, what, wait, wait, what do you want to bring up? Is it okay. going to spoil something? Oh, no, no, no. I, see, here's the thing. I've seen all of it. I know you yeah. guys are only so far. Yeah. I'll comment where I can, but I'll basically do just like Rogue Boy does, where I'm just like, there's so many things I want to say. <laughs> well, yeah, here, I'll give our, the listener an update on where I'm yeah. at. I'm yes. Halfway through season five. Yeah, he's burning through it. Uh, God I'm, damn, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. I've only watched, I'm up to the second episode in season three. The third episode? Uh, just the, the beginning of season three. Uh, but, I, uh, you know, it's really cool. A lot of our listeners are taking this ride with us. Some of them have powered through it. Some are still powering through it. So, look, we'll do it after. We'll do it in the post show. We can have a Game of Thrones geek out. What okay. do you say? The one little bit I wanted to say, just because yeah. so people don't have to pay for it. Okay. I love the fact that you guys say Daenerys. How do you say her name? Daenerys. Ah, oh, shit. Of course it's wrong. The thing, and it's, I don't want to be like, you know, pushing Daenerys. up my glasses and, well, um, actually... But it was just every time you guys would Dude, say nerd. it, I immediately like it's, it makes me a terrible person. But I immediately started picturing her being played by like a Wayans brother. <laughs> I'm Daenerys Way. <laughs> I added a syllable to her name. Uh, you know, I can't well, pronounce it. How are you supposed to say it again? Daenerys. Oh. Daenerys. Daenerys Targaryen. Hmm. Fucking names in this Game of Thrones. Oh my god, I know. Uh, it I, only gets worse. Uh, I bet. That's why I have the captions on. So look, if you want to enjoy this and uh, into the run-up for the final season, that's kind of what we're doing. We have a whole bunch of time. Go check out the last two episodes. But we're, for right now, we're going to get to what the fuck happened to Daredevil. The Jock and Nerd Podcast. And listener, if you want to get in touch with the show, if you want to suggest a what the fuck, if you want to tell me how to pronounce all the things I'm pronouncing wrong, just visit jockandnerd.com slash contact for all the ways to interact, Twitter, Facebook, email, speak pipe, and our awesome Facebook group uh, that has a lot of our listeners. Everybody hangs out there. It's lots of fun. So, Delhauer, I think we picked this movie 
uh, kind of uh, to celebrate the uh, first season of The Defenders uh, coming out on Netflix. I thought it was a nice tie-in. Uh, yes, I actually meant to ask before the show, so I didn't sound like a total jackass when I brought it up. But uh, when you guys did your <laughs> Defenders, uh, or actually it was the episode after you did your Defenders yeah. review, yeah. Uh, one of the listeners had commented that it sounded almost like you were doing a what the fuck happened for that series. <laughs> yes, that was a great comment. That's so I wanted comments. to respond by basically <laughs> saying it can be so much worse <laughs> oh yes it can so you know what this will kind of because uh you know variety posted this article netflix marvel's the defenders least viewed among marvel series in debut month in That's the u.s strange uh, right revelation. my my understanding of that honestly is strictly just people haven't watched all the other ones yet and don't want to immediately dive into Defenders. I think that's part that's of it. I also it. think yeah. the lead-in from Iron Fist probably didn't help. Oh, absolutely not. You know, because it just kind of went downhill as the series is went. And they're like, oh, this Iron Fist, Defenders is going to suck. So it's funny. They think, you know, you got all the solo ones. Four, throw them into one. You should get all those ratings. Eh, it didn't work out like that for the Netflix. But whatever. But, how you make a good point. Like, after this episode... Uh, that the Defender season is going to seem a lot better. And <laughs> uh, there will be a special announcement at the end on how to make Defenders seem even better. Oh, okay. I like hmm. that. So uh, I'm going to set up. <laughs> Not yet. Come on. Take, take all my money. Uh, I'm going to set up uh, this movie a little bit. Uh, we're going to travel back to 2003, a, a, a place in time where. Do you have um, any of the soundtrack to play while we do this? Oh, God, no. I would want to <laughs> shoot myself oh my in the God, head. That soundtrack is so We legendary. will get in. So 2003, uh, famous for new metal. You know, you had your ever evanescence and new, I was going to say famous for new metal and the beginnings of Nickelback. Oh, oh God, yeah. Nickelback. That's how you know it's a bad soundtrack. Fucking Nickelback oh, is shit. on the soundtrack. So, you know, and also this is the time when Marvel did not own the rights to Daredevil. This was made by Fox. Fox Ooh, had look the at rights. This. You got on the soundtrack, you got Hoobastank, Seeker, <laughs> Nickelback. Ooh. I mean, that's I, and calling. I do think I do think Evanescence shows up twice. Evanescence that does. Evanescence is in there. God, Bring it, me to life is in that song. In it, there. Wake, wake me up inside that yeah. wake. Uh, Saliva. Oh God! This fuel. It, oh my it, goodness! It dates the movie so badly. Yeah, it's so bad. So look, and the up, worst part is, yeah, fourteen-year-old Matt Delhauer. Yes. Ate that shit. I off. bet you did, you bastard. <laughs> oh, let me let me think how old I was. I was fifteen at the time. Loving it. Mm-hmm. Loving you know, it. I think the Spider-Man soundtrack also had a Nickelback also song. Also had a Nickelback. Actually, Actually was... technically, no. Now that I think about it, it wasn't fully Nickelback. It no, was it just Chad Kroger. Oh, he was singing, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. That that made me really angry when that soundtrack came out. I was like, and oh, yet, fuck you, I soundtrack. I loved that song. <laughs> I loved Hero, and then they yes. had Dashboard Confessional on Spider-Man 2, and that was a great oh, vindicator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was Hero. So, look, speaking of Spider-Man, leading up to this movie, this is all we had. We had an X-Men movie. We had two Blade movies, and we had Sam Raimi's Spider-Man just a year before the 2003 also saw the release of Ang Lee's Hulk and X2. So this kind of gives you some historical superhero movie context. This this kind of tells you that they were still trying to find their feet. Absolutely. Uh, and so, Delhauer, you watched the director's cut for this, I, but... Yes. Um, I'm actually going to be doing the breakdown of the theatrical version because it is the worst of the two. And this is what the fuck happened. 
Yes, and that's talking good. about the director's cut actually plays into what the fuck happened with this movie. I, you know, that's good because I I watched the director's cut uh, the the other day because I'd never seen it. I only watched Daredevil once, and I don't I remember parts of it. So I was like, yeah, let me check out the director's cut. It it uh, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait till you go into the differences. It really doesn't save the movie. The, some of the, the the technical differences, I believe, the regular cut is PG thirteen, one hundred and three minutes. Director's cut. R-rated and 133 minutes. Yeah, uh, I think I think it's technically unrated because since it's a director's yeah. cut, they didn't put it in. But it was right. it was meant to be R. Right. It was definitely more violent. Uh, Rotten Tomato score, 44 percent aggregated average score, 5.2 out of 10. So right in the middle. So, yeah, it's, it's right there. Right there, we've done better and we've done worse on the what the fuck happens. Uh, as far as box office, this movie came out uh, Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2003. Big Valentine's Day weekend movie, which is kind of a weird choice. Production budget, $78 million. Uh, for article from Forbes said this film received tr- terrible reviews, but still ended up with a $40 million Friday through Sunday debut weekend, which was a record for that holiday at the time. And it's still Ben Affleck's biggest debut after Pearl Harbor. Uh, the film earned 103 million domestic, the lowest final gross ever at the time for a film that had debuted with 40 million or more, and ended up with 175 million worldwide. I think it may also be the lowest domestic of superhero films at that point. Yeah, 103 is like what they make in the opening weekend nowadays. Uh, it, that's all it made. Yeah. <laughs> the whole fucking run. So that tells you a little bit. Uh, so we we mentioned. Let's talk about the cast and crew because this is hilarious. Uh, first of all, directed, written, and directed by Mark Steven Johnson, a man who is responsible for ruining three superheroes on the big screen. He directed Daredevil and Ghost Rider, but wrote Daredevil, Elektra, and Ghost Rider, which mm. begs the question: Are we on the precipice of a Mark Steven Johnson? What the fuck trilogy? It's, it's easy to oh, do God. right here. Don't it make writes, me watch Electra. It writes itself. So uh, we've got the bad flag, Ben Affleck, playing Matt Murdock, Daredevil. Uh, the former Mrs. Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner, playing Electra Nachios. Colin Farrell as Bullseye. Michael Clark Duncan as Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin. John Favreau playing Foggy Nelson. Uh, Ellen Pompeo as Karen Page. Joey Pants. Joe Pantoliano. The ben Yorick. The Pants is in this. I like that you throw Karen Page in there. She had like nothing to do in this she, film. I know, no, she really not at didn't. All. They're just names. And I mean, I I'm going to. The best part is the fact that I think she is billed like fifth in the movie as Karen Page. And she is a nothing character. Right. Absolutely. And like a lot of these characters we know from uh, the, the TV series and the comic books. Like there's a guy playing Wesley. Nobody knows him. And then you get into some of the fan service characters. There's a guy named Joe Cassandra. David Jose. Keith. Jose. Oh, Jose Casada. Right. Uh, little little nod there. Uh, David Keith playing Jack Murdoch. And then we get really 90s because the movie also has Kevin Smith and Coolio. Oh, shit. Geek boner. Uh, you can't get any more late 90s, early 2000 than that, people. Mm, Coolio is already dried up at that point, in my opinion. <laughs> Kevin Smith has lost a lot of weight. I forgot how large. He was. This movie produced by Avi Arad and a Kevin Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige figuring things out, probably cringing throughout the production of this entire thing, going, oh man, if you just give me the reins, I could make things so much better. But he did what he could do in the confines of the uh, we'll, we'll, studio. We'll get, in, we'll get yeah. into what, I mean, why this is what it is. But like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a weird era where they 
they hit on comic book movies, but they didn't yeah. know they didn't fully want to embrace everything comic nope. book. They didn't trust it completely. They didn't trust the audience to go along with it completely. This is a perfect example. So, Matt Delhauer, Marvel logo fades in. It actually is before the director's cut I watched. Yeah. Marvel logo is weird. I didn't think I would see it. And I was like, oh, they got the logo. Logo fades out. Cut to black. Cue Delhauer. So, as we get into Daredevil, uh, we start off in what I have to say sets a great tone for this movie. And that is an opening credit scene with one of the worst CGI skylines in it. <laughs> yes. And while the, while it is really terrible CGI that they use for the opening credits, I do think it's at least a little clever that they spell out names in Braille with the windows of buildings oh, and then translate them into the actual names. It's not bad. All of that gets done, and we then transfer over to the worst CGI rat I've ever <laughs> seen for New York City. <laughs> As it then pans up a terribly CGI'd church to then show us Daredevil draped over top of a cross on top of the church with uh, police helicopters flying around and spotlights hitting him. And, oh, man, that doesn't that look like such a great shot coming right out of the comic books at you? There's always a full moon in New York in this movie. Like always. It like the full moon every just every damn night. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it looks like uh, our buddy Daredevil is not doing so great because he lowers himself into the church from the inside, which looks to be about 3,000 feet tall. Yeah. He makes it most of the way before he falls about 20 feet to the ground. Most likely, I'm assuming, breaking several limbs. <laughs> and lays just on the altar hurt. Uh, he is then found by the priest who runs the church, who quickly runs over, pulls his mask off, and holds a candle very close to his face, <laughs> noticing that it's, oh shit, that's Ben Affleck. <laughs> uh, and as he's laying there, we get Ben Affleck's amazing voiceover, with the f his first line in the movie, and one that to this day baffles me. <laughs> and it is... They say your life flashes before your eyes just before you die, and that's true, even for a blind man. How? <laughs> <laughs> what is he seeing? How are you seeing all this that you're about to narrate? And I get that we're going to get into this whole entire, you know, thing with his radar sense and stuff like that, but it's like, you know, memory doesn't work like a movie makes you think it does. So that means not only do you remember just what bit you saw for the first 10 years of your life, but now you just got flashes of weird blue echoes all over yeah. the place, too. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that when we're panning up the front of the really bad CGI church, we're getting a shit ton of really quick cuts yeah. of what we don't know to actually be things that happen later on. Yeah, that's weird. This is our hint that we are in the middle, and by middle I mean last act of this story already. Yeah. So now we're going to flash back from there, and we're going to trek forward, where we meet a young Matt Murdock, who is talking about how he grew up in Hell's Kitchen, he would get bullied often, his father was a washed-up boxer, and his life was, eh, okay, I guess, not really the greatest. He talks about how he had gotten into a fight at school, because... The bully was telling him that his dad was a washed-up drunk and that he was working for Fallon, who I guess is a crime lord in the area. And his dad tells him, I'm not doing that. Turns out his dad's doing that. <laughs> uh, and 
<laughs> he the, bully, the bully played by Anthony Jr. from The Sopranos. Because why? Because he was in The Sopranos. Like that's the only say, reason he's in the movie. Why not pull the douchey kid from The Sopranos to play yes. the douchey kid in Daredevil? And say what you want. And the funny thing is, I don't even think Anthony Jr. would be enough of a douche to just pick on a kid after he's been blinded. Yeah. <laughs> so one day after school, Matt just stumbles upon his dad in a back alley trying to shake a dude down for money for Fallon. He was going to show his dad that he got straight A's on his report card, but now he's so distraught that he throws his report card in a puddle. And he goes running away, trying to get away. His dad's chasing after him. He runs into a toxic waste warehouse <laughs> uh, and <laughs> almost gets hit by a guy in a forklift who then veers out of the way and in doing so pierces the side of a tank of a, uh, a, a drum of toxic waste that apparently splashes Matt only in his eyes. Lots of unsecured nuclear waste in this place. It's very weird. I, uh, yes. Uh, the other thing that I find so funny is why were the, why were the, the, the fork on the front of that forklift was why was it that sharp? It was a razor sharp. It was like impaling somebody with it sharp. I also hate that they changed it from him like saving someone to like it's it's dad's fault. Oh yeah, it's, it, it was his dad being a shit person was what yeah. caused him to go blind. So then we get to what is legitimately one of the only really cool moments in this movie, which is the introduction to Matt's radar sense. Mm-hmm. I remember when I saw this this movie in the theaters when I was fourteen. This actually was really awesome with surround mm. sound because mm. oh, shit wow. came from everywhere when you heard it. And the actual you know, CGI effects are cool enough because it's all CGI. It's not just a really crappy looking building on an already existent skyline. So Matt in the hospital discovers he has this crazy radar sense that allows him to see by having sound bounce off of things in the area and then come back to him. Problem is, is that Matt is not smart enough, despite his all A's, to understand that that's actually echolocation. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. That never occurred to me. <laughs> that's not radar. No. His, uh, his dad comes in to meet him. I, I mean, honestly, I'm sure someone's going to make a comment about how radar basically is that. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Ask Adam. Adam Morris. It's, it's, always, but it's always been a weird thing, though. It's like it's not even it's like a. It's like a sixth sense that he's developed using all yeah. his senses at once. In, I was going to yeah. say in the, the show, like they try and make it a little more about it being he like his senses it. Yeah. than it is about like the toxic waste made my brain see sound. Right. I wish they had done this in the show. It's the one thing this movie does right. Something. Yeah, it, 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 it is pretty cool. So then his dad comes to visit him and basically says like, I'm so sorry that me working for a crime lord caused you to never be able to see again. I promise I won't work for that crime lord anymore. I sure learned my lesson. <laughs> I, 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 you know what? Uh, you know, call, call up a call this a special episode because I really learned something today. So we then get our our first montage of the movie, in which uh, battling Jack Murdoch, which in this they call Jack the Devil Murdoch, yeah, decides he's going to get on the comeback trail as a boxer. Though the problem is, is they don't specifically state how long he hasn't been boxing. Right. And at a certain age, you really can't get yourself no back trail. into that yeah. shape. <laughs> there is no comeback trail at a certain Hey, Mayweather age. did it. Why can't he do it? That, I, don't th- I don't think he's been portrayed at this point as Floyd Mayweather. Mayweather else. No, no, he no, wouldn't no. be he working was, for shady he, bosses. He was a mid-card boxer at best. But he's got big cauliflower fucked up ears. Well, here's the thing. We're going to learn that, you know what? We were right. He didn't get into good shape. 
Yeah. Because while he was getting into shape and Matt was learning how to read Braille and then discovering that he could do gymnastics because of his sense of touch or whatever, we find out that uh, Jack has a big fight coming up and it may be one of the biggest of his career. And while he's getting ready, he goes out and we find out that actually this fight has been fixed by Fallon. All of his fights have been fixed by Fallon. And he wants Jack to take a dive in this one because then he'll get a lot of money and he can help. That will help raise his blind son in the city. As I mentioned before, during this uh, this montage, while Matt is learning that just by being on a rooftop, he can apparently, you know, slide down rails and do gymnastics and teach himself how to be a boxer. He also decides to get into a fight with Anthony Jr., his schoolyard bully, who is still picking on him despite him being blind. And then he beats the crap out of these three kids with his cane. (laughs) Who picks on a blind kid? What is this? Like, I get that you're you're supposed to be a bully. (laughs) Yeah. Bullies tend to have reasons they pick on certain kids. Yeah. To pick on a kid because, oh, well, you're, you're poor. And then to pick on a kid because you're poor and now you're blind. Like, I feel like you draw a line somewhere. Like, the kid physically cannot, like, defend himself. And it's the worst taunting. He's like, I dare you. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Take a swing at me. I dare you. Really? What? Why? (laughs) What are you gaining out of this? And even then, when he then tries to beat up the blind kid, I guarantee one of his two friends would have been like, all right, dude. No, that's not cool. Like, this this is (laughs) enough. Let's leave. So, uh, Jack, during his fight, uh, sees Fallon in the crowd basically being like, throw the fight, Jack. And then he sees his blind son, who is surprisingly facing the ring. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yelling out, come on, Dad, you can win. Which, again, how does does his kid know that he's losing? (laughs) Without giving away his secret. At some point, somebody would notice. But uh, so Jack decides I'm going to make my son proud of me, even though he can't see me win. And he wins the fight. And funny enough, I had a very split second moment watching this where I mixed up this fight and the fight from uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh, oh, it's very similar. It reminded th- me of that, too. I yeah. thought to myself, I was like, wait, does Jack kill the guy? I'm like, yeah. no, no, that's Bruce Willis in Pulp Fiction. Never mind. I saw Bruce Willis <laughs> like running and going to get his watch. Yeah. No, that's um, Ivan Drago and Rocky IV. <laughs> so many boxing movies. Yeah. Uh, and because he didn't throw the fight, uh, Fallon has a couple of his goons meet Jack in an alleyway back behind the Olympic Theater? Or Boxing Theater? Oh, he's fighting John Romita, by the way. Did you notice that? Yes. Well, the funny thing is, is that... Um, uh, I don't know where I put my notebook. I marked down that some of the fighters he has taken on included Romita... Yeah. And Bendis. Yes. Oh, and, that's kind of cool. And Miller. It's cool until you so get to the rest of the movie where they keep shoving in fucking he, Marvel names. He fought Frank Miller. Yes. He fought Brian Michael Bendis and he fought um, John Romita. Frank Miller is in the movie, too. He's in the cast. This guy holding pen or something. Um, I, I mean, OK. I, I didn't see him. <laughs> I did not him, see Ron. him. He's in the thing. I didn't see him. Man <laughs> with pen in head. Is Frank Miller's uh, cast title. I don't know who that is. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Uh, fucking Frank Miller. Some dead anyway. Guy. So now that we have gotten through the fight uh, and Jack is getting the crap beat out of him by two randos back in the, the alleyway because, you know, uh, this guy's apparently a good enough boxer. He could still win a match. <laughs> yeah. Also, he's at the end of a match, uh, though 
he looks like he hasn't been in a fight at all. And uh, these two guys are beating him up. Matt hears it and is, oh, God, something bad's happening. And then a very large man that we don't actually see gets out of a limo because we see it basically lift three feet off the ground when he exits it. And one giant fist winds up hitting Jack in the face. And now he's dead. And a single rose is left on his corpse. And blind Matt gets to lay over his father's body like, funny enough, years from now, the yes. Batman character oh, that Ben oh, Affleck would yes. portray. Oh, there's a lot of that in this movie. Right. <laughs> yes. and the question that I have is when he then finds the rose on his dad, he picks it up and he squeezes like yes. the bulb of the rose. Yes. And it starts making him bleed. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. I was like, wait Flowers a minute. Flowers don't well, cut you. Why are you bleeding? You didn't grab the thorns, See, I interpreted it as the, the, ro- the rose was bleeding, and I was like, that's confusing as well. Yeah. I don't know what's, what, I, what to make of is this. Is it a poetic I, thing? Yeah. Is it, uh, did he hurt himself? I was, was yeah. going to say, like, no it, it would have made sense if, like, he grabbed his dad by the face and he had his dad's blood on him, but yes. no. Yeah. They're trying to tell us that he squeezed a flower so hard he's now bleeding from it. That does not make any sense. And that's a wrap for young Matt Murdock. We then get to meet up with old Matt Murdock as he wakes up inside of a sensory deprivation chamber. Oh, this is creepy as fuck. Yeah, this is weird. Uh, yeah, so the first thing that we are introduced to is blind Ben Affleck floating in a salt bath. Yeah. As he then wakes up for his day. And as he gets up, funny enough, they put a lot of effort in this movie to replicating how a blind person lives their life. Yeah, he doesn't need to do any of these things. <laughs> he he goes about, all of his clothes have little braille tags on them to tell him yeah. what they are. Yeah. Uh, he has his money separated into uh, individual... Foldings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Individu- well, which is what individual blind people do. ...that have yeah. braille on them. Mm. Yeah. And then he folds them specific ways so he knows what they are in the wallet. Yeah. Uh, the one bit that I loved was that he is waking up to be, you know, to go to his lawyer job in New York City. I'm assuming that means he's out of bed by, what, 7 a.m.? maybe yeah immediately starts blasting like a saliva song out of his fucking stereo system i'm sure him. his neighbors love just <laughs> rocking out with him at seven in the morning and also he's sleeping in a deprivation tank so that his senses don't overload yeah, why the next thing he this? does is crank up the music yeah and it's the weird thing is, is i feel like it's supposed to be he's cranking up the music so he doesn't hear shit outside mm-hmm. oh okay because i was like you're blind not deaf why are you yeah, fucking cranking but, this up yeah, but, it's, it's supposed to be that it's overloading his radar sense so he can uh, see the is apartment that what it is? and not see the shit outside because you remember, later on though when they bang the when bullseye is banging the poles yeah, I thought, yeah. like oh they're overwhelming his senses yeah yeah it's funny it, it, yeah. yeah okay so what this boils down to is yeah. they do not put a lot of logic into it. Okay. <laughs> Plus, he could feel money and know what denomination is. He doesn't need to fucking fold it special just in to the show comic, we get yes. it. In yes. the movie, apparently not. Yeah. I, I mean, in the comic, he can read actual words on a yeah. page by just yeah. running his fingers over the ink. Yes. They yes. really wanted to drive home the idea of this is how blind people live. Look, I did research. Yeah. <laughs> blind it, it's, they really wanted everyone to be like, wow, Ben Affleck really went into being a blind guy. <laughs> He's Man. not good at playing a blind guy at all. <laughs> We then skip to him being in what looks like one of the smallest courtrooms in the world, but that's also because we're so used to seeing ones from, like, Law and Order, where they're gigantic. Yeah. Uh, where it looks like it's in a basement. It does, and it probably <laughs> was. Yeah. And, and in all honesty, the, the, the small 
courtrooms that they have for like places in New York. I'm sure they actually look like that. Yeah. But we find Matt and his partner Foggy uh, are trying to defend a waitress who was beaten and raped by a gangster named Jose Caseta. We get the the smarmy bit about how, oh, oh, she liked it, she wanted it, so on and so forth. Uh, we get the uh, the cute little daredevil moment of him listening to the man's heart rate to see whether or not he's lying. And when he sees that he is, he comments that perjury is a crime, Mr. Caseta. Turns out they lose, because if anyone has ever read a Daredevil comic, Matt and Foggy tend not to do well as lawyers. They're yeah. shitty lawyers. Not good. <laughs> so they feel bad about the fact that they couldn't get this guy put into jail or get any sort of uh, restitution for this waitress, who we never hear from again. I'm assuming moved out of the city. <laughs> uh, but because they were not able to stop this guy, Matt knows that justice is going to find him. And it does that by doing a Joel Schumacher suiting up uh, montage for yes. him to become Daredevil. Yes. Now, the funny thing is, is that it's actually for me, it felt like it was a mix of Spider-Man yes. and uh, Schumacher Batman. Yes. Because yes. of the fact that it does that rack zoom on his sunglasses. The, the Raimi rack zoom. Yes. And then the, the sunglasses, it shows like, you know, the, the cane turning into the baton and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which was felt like something I think he did in the first Spider-Man. This whole movie is made up of all these movies that came before it. <laughs> Just so now cool. that he is Daredevil, he tracks Caseta down to Josie's bar. And apparently in this world, Josie's bar is a giant biker bar. <laughs> and it's like the biggest biker bar I've ever seen in my life. There is a lot of room in that place for being in New York City. It's such a cliched fucking biker bar, too. Uh, he tracks Caseta and his guys there. Uh, and doing his best impression of the crow, he <laughs> breaks in from the skylight, says he's looking for justice, and beats the crap out of every single person in the bar. <laughs> to the point where it's nothing but uh, Nickelback, <laughs> strobe lights, and then eventually the pool tables are lit on fire. For some reason, yeah, I didn't understand. How did that happen? Where did that, when did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> it's Daredevil's power. He's a devil, man. He's a yeah, devil. There's got to be fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, after he has basically subdued every single person in this bar. Uh, now, despite the fact that, that there was a, a whole lot of uh, Nickelback playing in this, two things that I actually liked about this bar fight was, one, the fight choreography was very well done. Yeah. And two, going in and out of his radar sense with the sound design is actually really cool as well. Yeah, it gets quiet and kind of cloudy. It'll, 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 it'll yeah. kind of get quiet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'll kind of get yeah. quiet. You'll hear little bits and pieces of like somebody stepping on glass, somebody yeah, like saying something. Yeah, like in the distance. Yeah, but I like that. It's the also like cool. when he suddenly focuses in on the fan, yeah. you start, to, you hear Nickelback in the background, but you hear it whooping in the same way the fan is ah. because it's cutting out that background noise. Ah. The sound designer on this movie was on his fucking game. He's the only one. Moving on, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, tra he chases Caseta down to the uh, 50th Street subway tunnel. I guess both of them decided to jump the uh, turnstile for that. <laughs> guess the law doesn't apply. Yeah. Uh, at which point the train goes by and we see that the noise of the subway train fucks with his radar sense. But saliva doesn't. <laughs> but then at the same time terrible he, music doesn't I was gonna no. say but then at the yeah. same time he clears out the noise that's messing with his mind by slamming his uh, baton against the stairwell so that it resonates out and puts everything back in order yeah 
Which, as we said, shows that this power is very inconsistent. Very inconsistent. So noise hurts him until noise he makes doesn't. He goes and he basically chokes Caseda against the pole, telling him that he uh, wants justice. Another train goes by and it hurts his ears. I find it very odd that there are so many trains that go past this station but don't stop. That was my question. I was like, what What fucking express <laughs> subway are you in? These trains just keep coming literally 30 seconds after one another. What is going on? Uh, Caseta pulls an ankle gun on him, but Daredevil trips him up, throws him off of the platform, and has him land on one of the rails and gives this uh, one-liner. Yes. And it's not even a one-liner. It's like four sentences. It's so great. Of that light at the end of the tunnel. That's not heaven. It's the sea train. <laughs> and Caseta is then run over and cut in half by the sea train. First of many bad lines of dialogue. Oh, beautiful. That was a good one. <laughs> right after that scene, we then have the detectives uh, of the NYPD at the subway station checking out what happened. Oh, and you meet Yurik here, right? This is where ben you Yurik. meet yes, Joey, Joey Pants playing yeah. Ben Yurik, the reporter. And what I love is that because they couldn't make it the Daily Bugle, they made him writing for the New York Post. He writes all of his terrible fucking myth paper stuff yeah. in the New York Post. Which is kind of appropriate. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ben Yurik shows up basically saying, this is totally the daredevil that did this. And oh the cops God, are like, you're an terrible. idiot. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah. And he throws his cigarette out over like halfway across the platform where it lands in a thing of... I guess gasoline, maybe yes, butane. Yes. That sh- suddenly has a flaming double D on the ground. And he goes, oh, yeah, I guess Daredevil wasn't here at all, huh? <laughs> and then it just reflects in his glasses as I go, somebody really liked the crow. Another crow ripoff. Okay, wait, can we pause for a second? Because so pause, many things please. were go- going through my mind. First of all, how is it the fucking gasoline it's still staying in the D level? Why, if you knew there's gasoline there and there's cops around, you're just going to throw a fucking lit cigarette? You don't know what's going to happen. Here's then- another part of that. <laughs> yes. How is it not a single one of these cops has a sense of smell? Yes. How that they can't know? tell there is an accelerant somewhere around here. And so nobody walked in yeah, that specific area. I was going to say no area. one walked in that specific spot, <laughs> spread the gas around, yes, and now ruined, uh, ruined, his, say, ruined and, his Ds. And now, the, and now all of the 50th Street platform is on fire. <laughs> it should be. Like, they should all cut on fire. Either that or it should have, like, ruined the Ds, and it should have been, like, yeah. weird spaces, and it now it doesn't all like, on fire. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a what squiggle. Is, what is GC? <laughs> like, so this movie is full of things that would look great on the page in a comic book, and it's just not fucking translate. Well, that's, like, that's just well. not practical. Like, why would... Why would Daredevil take the time to leave us a calling card? Where did he find the gasoline? It's the problem in the fact that they go all in on trying to have these comic book visuals. In a movie where, like X-Men, they're still trying to be like, we don't want to go too crazy. Like, this cell has to be a believable world. Also, uh, Daredevil's a murderer now? When the fuck did this happen? This is a foreshadowing of murdering Batman that he wanted to do the whole time. Don't worry. That's a plot point. Let me me throw in one one other thing. Yes. We didn't learn from this either. There was one man that's considered a great filmmaker that didn't learn yeah. from this. Yes. You know who that is? Who's that? Uh, Mr. Christopher Nolan in Dark Knight Rises has a oh, scene where, the, yeah. where you light a random piece of um, ice on fire and it crawls all the way up to the top of a bridge and shows the Batman logo. <laughs> it shows now, the bat signal. The funny thing is, is that there has been for a little while that I have contemplated doing Dark Knight Rises for <laughs> what the fuck happened. <laughs> Because as much as I love Chris Nolan and his Batman movies, I'd be down. I recognize the fact, because a few years have gone by, that that movie is 
clinically a bad film. I'd be down. That I mo- think that someone movie t- has that movie is. Does the word clinical work there? No. <laughs> there's a lot of good things in that movie, but it is there's a lot of problems with that film. Someone's requested that actually, Dark Knight Rises. I think, somebody I, wrote I, think it. I saw them do that as well. Yeah. yeah. But okay, the, my last thing, that trial they were at, it didn't seem like it was a criminal trial. Like, and it wasn't clear if he was like prosecution and defense it seemed like a civil trial it basically it what i think it was is i think it was boiling down to it was almost like it felt like she was suing him for yeah, raping yes, her yes so he murders a guy off a civil trial for no reason like what do you do well, well he murdered a rapist he murdered a rapist well, yeah, okay, Imran, come on fine. but this is also a time when they would put no one knew what courtrooms really looked like so they would just yeah. throw they would just put a courtroom seam and it'd be it could cover for anything yeah. yeah, this is this is why you need to have Charles Soule involved in like all of your daredevil. Yeah, because at least he's a lawyer and he knows how it works. <laughs> oh, Soule's a lawyer. Huh? He is. He that. actually yeah. he practices out of Brooklyn. Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't think he has in a little while, but who knows? All right. Back to it. So now uh, after <laughs> after the, his the nice pause. There yeah, you go. After his wonderful night out, Matt returns to his apartment, which is basically his own bat cave. Uh, he lands on the roof. He's got three combo locks that he just spins really quickly and then just smacks and, and they stops all unlock. And knows, yeah, what the fuck? I guess, I guess he can hear it. Whatever. Not, <laughs> not a big enough thing for me to care about. But he walks in and the, one of the biggest questions I have is, and luckily it's something that Netflix has answered, is I don't know how Matt Murdock affords where he lives. Okay. And especially because they bring it up later on. He lives in a penthouse apartment in Midtown that has secret rooms. That's right. Filled with multiple variations of his leather superhero costume. It's a pretty nice layer. As well as a full sensory deprivation tank in it. Yeah. It's huge. And, but at the same time, they've got people that they defend who can only pay in fish and basketballs. Yeah, that's all pro bono shit. Like, yeah, like how does he pay for this? Where is your money coming yeah, from? Yeah, they did a lot better job of this in the actual in the series on Netflix because mm-hmm. they keep saying he's got a huge place, but it's like, well, it's he got it because no one wanted it because the neon lights keep yeah, you up all night. The fact that no one would live there, he got it very cheap. Right. And he goes to bed. He wakes up the next morning where he meets with his partner Foggy at a cafe to talk about what they're going to do for their next uh, trial, their next case, whatever it is. Uh, uh, Foggy is reading the post, the New York Post and its story about how the the daredevil uh, murdered Caseta, uh, and the drawing of it is basically the Jersey Devil. Yeah. This is where we also, <laughs> this is where we also now meet Electra Nachios. As performed by whitest of white girls, Jennifer Garner. <laughs> She's supposed to be ethnic. She is. She is supposed yeah, to be. This is a Greek girl. Greek, supposed right. to be native Greek. Right. And she walks in looking <laughs> as waspy as I've ever seen in my life. It's a good fight. Uh, She's hot in this movie, though. There's just something about here's her. Here's a great thing. Did you yeah. notice the terrible CGI effect that they did to turn her eyes green? What? Oh, yeah. The whole movie, they CGI'd her gr- eyes Not green? the whole movie. <laughs> oh, no. Ah. Her, her, like, her, you know, Star Trek soft focus shot when she first walks in the door and they show yeah. her face. Yeah. 
Apparently, when they made the movie, they gave her green contact lenses because I guess the character's eyes are supposed to be green. Okay. Never actually said out loud. Yeah. In the movie, nor do I ever remember that being a plot point in the comic. No, who cares what color her eyes are? But they gave her contact lenses, and I'm assuming when they were in the edit, they said, "Ah, they're not green enough. (laughs) And so the editor just went into, like, Photoshop or After Effects and just put a green hue over her eyes. Oh, my God. To I the didn't point notice that. where they look like they're glowing. Oh, geez. She's a green lantern. <laughs> and it's the funny thing is, is it happens in that shot. And I think it's like one or two shots after that. But then any other time we see a close up of her, it's just her regular eyes and they're blue. <laughs> I just love that they cast a Jennifer Garner, the complete white bread chick. Yeah. yeah. This is a Greek chick. Of course. Um, so she comes in. Uh, Matt can smell her, which immediately this is. <laughs> Really, a lot of creepy things. Really in this off-putting. Movie. Yes, <laughs> it's a lot of creepy stuff he does in this uh, he movie. Asks, he, he's Foggy, just a creep. Entirely. He, asks, he, is, he asks Foggy to describe how she looks, and Foggy, being Foggy, because John Favreau knows his character, yeah. says she is ugly and disgusting, and stay away from her. Yeah, and Matt doesn't. Yeah, he goes over. He pulls the whole "Hey, I'm blind, and you should be cute to me" thing. She totally shuts him down and leaves, and he decides. Oh, no, no, no. You don't turn down blind lawyer Matt Murdock. <laughs> I'm going to stalk I'm going to go follow her. <laughs> Wait, did you notice the timing? She walks in. It cuts to him getting up. And then he walks over to her and she has her fucking coffee She's sitting already. there with her coffee I was already. like, how fast did you get your fucking coffee? I you don't just know if you've ever been ago. in a midtown cafe. <laughs> that's not going to happen. That's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if she planned on sitting down, yeah. they would have given it to her in like a mug or a cup. And instead, she has it in a to-go cup because I guess she just, I mean, I'll give her this much credit. She probably thought, I'm going to get hit on and I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) leave. So she decides to leave and Matt decides to follow after her. So he follows her down the road. She basically jumps out and says, like, stop following me. And he's like, hey, uh, I just wanted to get your name. And she's like, well, too bad. And turns to leave. Matt now does the thing you should never, ever <laughs> yes. do. Yes. And he grabs her by the wrist. Oh, shit. That's assault, people. Imran, That's assault. You, you probably uh, picked up that uh, that from this movie. I, everything then... I learned on the, about a hit on chicks, I learned from this movie. Well, I was actually going to ask. Um, None of it I works. was going to ask Anthony <laughs> yes. uh, how well just physically assaulting a woman <laughs> with martial work? arts yes. I, works as a pickup tactic. We, we, we've got it. We've got a lot of nerds probably that listen to this shit. Yeah. Don't ever do that. Don't, don't try do this. not. If she says no, please don't grab her. Don't, this this yes. is the ult. If you ever want to know, I know people have always wondered. They're not sure what consent is. <laughs> Here's the example. If she says, I want nothing to do with you. Yeah. And you then grab her by the wrist and say, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not consent. <laughs> That's not consent. I like to, up to this point, too, that you're supposed to have the lead, the protagonist, be someone that you can kind of relate to. They've yeah. done their best to make him nobody you can relate to. Yes. No, yes. no. He he's is creepy. And, yes. he, and he's very forward. He is yeah. a creepy forward murderer. <laughs> yes. With a goofy smile, sideways, crooked, fucking goofy grin. It's this man. And for all intents and purposes right now, is a serial killer. Yeah, he, he might as well be <laughs> he a puts blind on, Patrick Bateman from American say, Psycho. He, he, he puts on a ritualistic uniform 
yeah. <laughs> to go out and hunt down a certain type of people that he kills. Yeah. Yep. He then- <laughs> <laughs> so he is the Zodiac killer right now. He really is. He is, he is one poorly written letter away from being the Zodiac killer. Yeah. Uh, so he grabs her by the wrist. She says, I don't like to be touched. At which point, you don't have to say that. All you have to do is just scream, help, rape. Yeah. Uh, she tries to then hit him, and he counters it. And now we have our mute, cute fist fight between the lead actors of the movie. Oh, this is Now painful. we get this great little choreographed wire food dance fight oh, in so the goofy. playground. Which I think my favorite part of the whole thing was that halfway through, you then have a bunch of kids who were playing yes. basketball. Yes. They're like, oh shit, it's a fight between random white people. <laughs> and like, they come <laughs> running out chanting fight at them. Nobody notices. Not one of them notices that the dude's blind and maybe the lady shouldn't be yeah, beating up on he him. Has, he has a, visu- uh, a visually impaired cane. Yes. And she is basically beating the crap out of him so if no one had seen the altercation between them initially this looks like this woman is just beating up a blind dude in the park (laughs) yep there's that and there's also the the opposite of it's a man trying to throw punches at a woman yeah Yeah. so and you've got no one trying to help out no one here is no one here is a winner yeah 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 there's no Uh, there's no one coming out of this looking good no. <laughs> so they, they finish their fight, at which point she introduces that she's Electra Nachios. And then her bodyguard shows up. And she's all, oh, God, I thought I lost him at the cafe. Here, come with me. I got to look. We have to run away. So the two of them take off. So apparently she is more willing to spend time with the blind man who somehow just held his own by trying to beat her. <laughs> Then with the bodyguard yeah. that's apparently been hired by her father. Yeah. <laughs> and now they just walk the streets of New York talking about how she was trained in martial arts because her father is an important man and never wanted her to be a victim. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's their meet cute. So that's now it. I guess they're dating. <laughs> and, and Matt goes back to the, uh, the courthouse. It is at this point. 45 minutes into the movie that we meet our antagonist. Oh, gosh. Very so briefly. We've just been meandering along this whole We have ride. just been following Plus, Matt in a day in the life of being a blind, murdering lawyer. Also, let's not forget, <laughs> this is all still flashback. Most of this movie is a fucking flashback. That's the part I want to know. Yeah. How does he know any of the shit going on with Wilson yeah. Fish? How are you, how are you showing <laughs> me in all another place in your flashback? so we then meet wilson fisk uh as he is meeting with electra's father nicholas nachios i'll just say it would have been hard to uh render the flashbacks in his radar sense (laughs) (laughs) that would have been very confusing oh very confusing what is that big Uh, blob thing i don't know how do i know that's wilson fisk and not a trash can (laughs) (laughs) that's one big ass trash can (laughs) Uh, a dumpster. <laughs> Why did it hit him? <laughs> Nicholas Nachios is meeting with Wilson Fisk basically to say, I don't want to be in organized crime anymore because we need this plot to move forward. <laughs> <laughs> and Fisk just kind of goes, huh, that sucks. Well, bye. <laughs> you learned nothing about him. As he leaves, he's talking to who we find out later is Wesley. Yeah. 
uh, telling him, oh, well, if uh, if Nachios wants out, then uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to frame him for being the kingpin of crime. Also, get me Bullseye, because I'm going to get him killed. <laughs> we then also meet Bullseye. Oh, yeah. Who is Colin Farrell in the most scenery-chewing role he has oh, ever God. had. He gets to actually use his real voice or somewhat of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. For once. Now, the best part that I love about this is they make Bullseye Irish for no other yes, reason it's than so... Colin Farrell is Irish. This <laughs> this movie is like the the typical, it's like on the nose. Everything is so on the nose. They're playing House of Pain, the Irish hip-hop band, in the background while you meet fucking Irish Bullseye. So, Irish Bullseye has just won a dark competition in a pub in, I'm assuming it's Ireland. But it could also be England because there's a bunch of British people there. And by the way, I'll throw in Bullseye in the comics grows up in New York. So there's no reason why he should be this Irish. I just thought he was like in an Irish bar in New York. I was going to say, in, in, the, in the comic, I think he is kitchen Irish, right. which is oh. that he, he is Irish descent, but he grew up in right, Hell's in Kitchen. Hell's kitchen. Right. Yeah. But so he, he wins his dart contest. He demands his money from whoever the guy was that he was up against. The guy slanders him for being Irish. At which point he decides he's going to take off his skull cap to reveal that he has a bullseye, not tattooed, like engraved yeah, into his Char- forehead. Charlie Manson style. And he then murders this man by taking a paperclip, using sleight of hand to yeah. straighten it out. Yes. And then throwing it across the room into the man's throat. And then he does it with like nine more of them. Yeah, he does the magic trick where it's just like it flattens out behind his and leaves. And, and, and nobody By knows going to call the cops. Thank or you, everyone in this bar, for now yeah. being a witness to yes. murder yes. caused by a man with one of the most distinctive marks on his face. Yeah, you don't think the people in the bar are like, yeah, this guy should be easy to find. Yeah, he's got a big scar on his oh, head. Oh, yeah. You said he's got a giant bullseye on his forehead. Uh, Righto. Oh, that'll make it real easy for us. Thanks. Make sure to let the boys at the airport know. Uh. uh. <laughs> so then Bullseye, I guess, is on his way to New York through telepathy? Yeah, no, he actually no, wrong, comes wrong, and gets him. Sorry, sorry. He gets a call on his awesome Nokia flip phone. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2003, I miss you. Uh, so now that Bullseye is on his way, Matt meets up with Foggy at the courthouse where he talks about having been with Electra all day. Uh, Foggy makes the wonderful joke of Electra Nachios. She sounds like a Mexican appetizer. <laughs> and I went, yep, yep someone was going to make that joke. Uh, at which point he then comments on she's the, the daughter of Nicholas Nachios, the billionaire. He's like, oh, well, then marry her. Yeah. And we then, that's it, that's it, that's the scene. <laughs> that's all we needed. We needed them to establish who, I, honestly, now that I think about it, that may have come before we meet Nicholas Nachios with Fisk. Yeah. Just to establish, I don't care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter what order uh, what, this what is I in. What I do care about is we now get to a point where Matt is out on his murdering spree again. Yeah. Hanging out on the rooftops when he hears a man be, or he hears a man being beat up and uh, another man demanding money, saying that no one holds out on the kingpin. Oh, right, the kingpin. That's a that's a name people have said before. I should go <laughs> find out about that. So Matt swings in, beats the guy up, chases him into his apartment building, jumps through the window like Batman. Yeah, tackles him in the in the hallway and just starts beating the shit out of him while demanding, "Where's the kingpin?" <laughs> 
and the man tells him he'll never find out, and the kingpin rules everything, and this ain't your neighborhood anymore! Because <laughs> apparently everybody knows that Daredevil only hides in Hell's Kitchen, I guess? Yeah. Uh, and then he sees a little kid in the hallway who starts crying and cowering away from him, saying, please don't hurt me. And Matt immediately has an existential crisis. Oh, no. I'm not the bad I'm guy. I'm not the bad guy. <laughs> and then he stands on a rooftop repeating that to himself. <laughs> in the rain. Yeah. Yeah, at this point in the movie, I'm like, this guy's weird as fuck. Yeah. This guy's so weird. Why do I like this guy? Why do I have to like this guy? Back to a character that is super likable. <laughs> Bullseye is still on his way to New York. He's awesome. <laughs> And while sitting on the plane on the way to New York, he's sitting next to an old woman who won't shut up. Despite him blasting new metal off of his earbuds into yeah. his ears to not listen to her, yeah. he is still annoyed and a sociopath. So he decides the best thing to do is to open his little package of peanuts and do a paper football flick with a peanut to bounce it off the chair in front of him directly into her throat and have her instantly die from choking. <laughs> yeah, she died very quickly. That's how, that's how quick you can die from choking? I thought it was a little bit longer. With what I think is probably my favorite interaction in this entire movie, where then the stewardess comes by, sorry, flight attendant, <laughs> and she sees the old woman and goes, oh, she's sleeping, and then looks at Bullseye and says, can I get you anything? And he goes, more peanuts, please. <laughs> <laughs> with like the smarmiest smile it is so great and I just love that Colin Farrell is having so much fun he really well, is Bullseye in the comics is a sociopath so, oh absolutely he, I don't know if he's this over the top <laughs> oh no what it was was somebody said I feel like it's almost in the same vein as like when they made Batman and Robin and Joel Schumacher was telling everybody remember this is a cartoon yes yes, yes. somebody said to Colin Farrell oh it's, it's based on a comic book and he went Oh, so it's over the top and weird. <laughs> Play it, it big. Yes. The next day, uh, Matt is in the office with Foggy, while Foggy is complaining about the fact that they don't ever make any money from any of the cases that they take. Uh, they have a lot of sports equipment, which I believe... Oh, God, Foggy calls it something that it's so obvious. It's like, oh, he's never played a sport in his life. <laughs> what did he call it? I don't remember. They're like throwing balls around back and forth. Or he's playing with a ball. Yeah. Uh, he's shooting them the, into the hoop. I think he called it sporting sporting goods equipment or something oh, like geez. that. Like whatever it was. <laughs> uh, they're doing something that. Something would call it. Yeah, yeah, sports balls. Yeah, he's also <laughs> talking about the fact that one of their previous clients has paid them in fish. <laughs> then they open the mail and find that there's an invitation to a swanky ball. That has invited Matt Murdock plus one, and Foggy's excited to be a plus one at this ball. <laughs> but Matt doesn't want to go because he's pretty sure that the only reason they're going is because Electra invited him. Because, you know, they spent like maybe three hours together, so now come to this big expensive ball that my family's throwing. <laughs> By the way, we have a lot of money. And Foggy convinces him to go. Basically, this is going to be a great networking event, and we're going to finally meet some people who are going to pay us money to actually be lawyers. And Matt ultimately agrees. We then immediately just cut to Matt walking down the street for no reason, at which point he, Electra pops out behind him and is now following him. And Matt stops because he can smell her again. <laughs> uh, but he stops and comments 
that he knows she's following and that she did in fact find him again because he uh, she says, well, how do you know I wasn't a mugger? And he makes a very off-color joke about gay people. Yes! Oh, no. About how muggers don't wear rose oil and lavender this far away from Chelsea. Oh, Jesus so Christ. No, it, was, a, it was heels and rose oil. Heels that was and, so now, what's the count? We have a racist joke. We have a gay joke already in the movie. Yes. <laughs> 2003 let's go 2003 let's people <laughs> I'm surprised no one called anybody retarded in this movie really the internet must have been asleep when this movie came out nobody um, had nobody pitched a fake at which point they then go running off because Matt wants to show her his favorite place in the city which is the top of a roof of I guess the building he grew up in in Hell's Kitchen and he brought her up there because it's about to rain. And when it rains and if the water hits a surface for the first time, it makes a sound that allows him to see very detailed images <laughs> in his radar sense. This will be important later. So he gets to see Electra's face, which is just CGI Jennifer Garner's face, <laughs> which, by the way, the effect pretty cool. Yeah, but it's just her face. This is supposed to mean something to him, but I've been looking at her for like five minutes now. <laughs> we know what she looks like. <laughs> he immediately says, oh, my God, you're so beautiful. And this works on her despite him being blind. Because <laughs> apparently creepy blind dudes that follow her, sniff her, get into fights and then claim that her getting soaked in the rain makes her beautiful. Oh, that gets her going because they fuck. They just met each other. Like, they barely this know is, each this other. This is day two. Yeah. And they spent maybe four hours together. It's like, why is she kissing him? And already? she's like, you just said I'm beautiful. We're going to do it. Hey, that, That's hey, all that, it takes. That, that happens all the time. Oh, that does happen. <laughs> I see. That happens, in le- that happens in one night, let me tell I'm you. Take a, all right. take a- <laughs> Thank you, Anthony, for giving us the lowdown on how plausible this is. <laughs> maybe, maybe, not that, maybe not that specific uh, events of interaction, but it can happen. Okay. After they have banged, we then attend the ball, which I'm guessing is the same night? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Where Matt and Foggy walk around, they see all of the the who's who at the ball, basically just schmoozing like, oh man, look, there's that person, and there's that person. Oh, there's Wilson Fisk! We should totally represent Wilson Fisk! And he's like, oh yeah, I've heard about you, you're the blind lawyers from Hell's Kitchen. And (laughs) Foggy actually has a really charming line where he goes, no, he's blind. I'm deaf. At which point, Fisk gives him their card, and Matt immediately goes, oh, well, we would never represent you. He goes, oh, why is that? He goes, oh, well, we only represent people who are innocent. It's like, dude, really? (laughs) Really? Are you going to be this dick right now? (laughs) At which point, he then, uh, Wilson Fisk gives a great line for his character, which is, my, as long as I've been in this business, I've found no one is innocent. Yeah, very Wilson Fisk line. And then Electra shows up and she's in a dress that basically says, hello, Jennifer Garner's boobs. <laughs> <laughs> and then Foggy's basically saying, like, my God, she's unbelievably gorgeous again. And Matt goes to go see her. He walks up the stairs in this grand ballroom, which I have to ask. Why are so many smoky things happening on this one staircase? (laughs) There's like a dude who smokes and blows it in his face. Oh, that was weird. Yeah. There's food going by that has steam coming off of it. A woman who is randomly putting way too much perfume on (laughs) in the middle of the ballroom. 
But the scent like showed showed him showed up in his radar. Yeah, and then it's the only reason they did that was so you could then have some sort of a particle effect go over Garner's face when he finds her, and despite that, he shows that he has found her by walking up, dipping in really close, and sniffing up her neck. He <laughs> yeah. better get that right every time. Uh, yes. What if it wasn't her? <laughs> <laughs> At which point he says, I found you, and I really feel like her response should be, what the fuck? (laughs) Did you just smell me? What are you doing? We are in public. (laughs) (laughs) So the two of them go to go dance. Uh, While they're dancing, she takes off Matt's glasses so we can see the uh, expensive milky contacts they bought for Ben Affleck, (laughs) as well as the much less expensive liquid latex scarring around his eyes. And she comments about how she really wishes he could see because she got she made sure she looked really good for him tonight. And that just seems like a real fucking low blow to say to a blind dude. <laughs> that's just cruel. Why are you rubbing yeah, that, that That's that the worst thing probably you could say to a blind dude. Huh? I went out of my <laughs> way to look good and you can't too bad. see it. And he's just like, oh, yeah, me too. Like, what are you supposed to say to that? Meanwhile, we get a great little character funny moment with Foggy as he is off on the side of the room by himself, accidentally groping the breasts of a statue. (laughs) (laughs) But then Wilson Fisk uh, meets up with Nicholas Nachios and basically gives him the kiss of death by putting a rose in his pocket and saying, uh, you're going to die tonight and walking away. There's absolutely nothing, like, subtle about what he says. Yeah. Is he just walks up, puts the rose in his pocket, and goes, goodbye, old friend, (laughs) and walks away. And it's like, yeah, I know that that is threatening. (laughs) (laughs) So Nicholas Nachios gets freaked out and decides he's going to leave. And so he he goes running away, and uh, Electra follows after him, and they both get into a limo to leave. Meanwhile, here comes Bullseye on a pretty nice Triumph motorcycle. Meanwhile, yeah. Uh, surprisingly, getting through very little traffic in Midtown Manhattan. <laughs> Enough that he can then track down the, the limo that these two are in. Uh, Matt, realizing something is wrong, has decided to run off and in a matter of maybe about 10 seconds, change into his leather daredevil outfit. Wouldn't he have to like go home and change and then it's like, he's never all trying? his costumes are at home, right? Hey, yes, yeah. it has. Also, are they trying to convince me that he wears that leather biker outfit underneath a tuxedo? No, there's no way. With the fucking huge that collar that jacket has? would have been the most bulky thing ever. <laughs> then you would just immediately dehydrate because that thing is not breathable whatsoever. <laughs> yes, it's not. Not at all. A lot of liquids. So he starts chasing after the limo because he realizes something is wrong. Bullseye finds where the limo is because he is psychic. How the fuck did he know where they were? That that was them, where they were. And he comes down the street at them in the opposite direction, yes. standing on the motorcycle <laughs> in a Christ pose, where he then uses the little throwing stars that he keeps in his belt buckle to murder the driver and one of the guardsmen. At which point, the uh, limo crashes and flips over. So then Daredevil gets into a mini scuffle with... Uh, bullseye in order to try and stop him from killing the nachios nachioses <laughs> nachios nachi yeah, it's not sure let's go with that one <laughs> bullseye throws a throwing star at daredevil daredevil dodges it and now bullseye's pissed because he missed. never misses <laughs> so daredevil throws his baton at him which he then catches bullseye that is 
and decides he's going to throw back. And he goes to throw it at Nicholas Nachios. And Daredevil goes to try and catch it, but the explosion of uh, the motorcycle that Bullseye was on throws off his radar sense again, and he can't see which baton is he supposed to go for. Hint, it's always the one in the middle. (laughs) And he misses, and Bullseye apparently threw the baton with such superhuman force that it buries itself halfway into Nicholas Nachos' chest. Jesus Christ, what an arm on that guy. I did not think it was and going I'm that fast. I'm pretty sure he did it underhand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now Nicholas Dachios has been murdered with Daredevil's weapon. Electra thinks that it was Daredevil who did it because Bullseye also has the ability to Batman his way out of the middle of the street. Yeah, it's it's not like this guy was standing on top of a motorcycle before. Yeah, nobody, yes, no, nobody knows noticed. that guy. This guy in a long black jacket. In his his... long black snakeskin jacket that rattles every time he puts it on. (laughs) At which point she then reaches in the car, pulls out one of the guns that the guard had on him, and tries to shoot Daredevil as he CGI's his way up a roof. Oh my god. (laughs) Is is this the first time where we see like he can all of a sudden just jump higher than normal people? Why is he Um, flying? Technically I don't think so because when he first goes out to go hunt down Caseda is when they have his first big CGI running on rooftops bit where he destroys four window washer planks (laughs) for no reason. It's a good thing those window washer planks didn't put their fucking things away. 15 year old me was like I didn't know he became Spider-Man. Yeah, that's, it was total Spider-Man. <laughs> How CGI. is he jumping like this? He's got super jumping abilities. I think I was gonna say I think he also did it at one point when he went to go track down the Kingpin guy. Yeah, he did it a lot. Yeah. So now, Electra's dad is dead. The cops are showing up too late, and uh, Matt goes home to throw a tantrum. He knocks all of his billy clubs off of the wall. He throws around all of his uh, mask mannequin heads. Uh, I think he tips over the wardrobe that has all of his costumes in it because he's sad. (laughs) (laughs) Sad flack. (laughs) And he then goes off to church to go basically like confess that I guess he isn't Daredevil, but he did something that led to something bad happening maybe. Let's make sure you know that he's Catholic. He's got a lot of guilt. Meanwhile, <laughs> in the middle of the night, Ben Urich is called to the morgue by his best friend, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith, yes! Who, even in 2003, is already losing his hair. <laughs> and Kevin Smith's got something real cool to show him. And he shows him the billy club that uh, they took from the scene of Nachios' death. At which point he shows that if you pull and spin the top of it, it turns into a blind man's cane. Now, I had forgotten to mention, Yurik was at the ball. Yes. Ran into Matt and Foggy, saw Matt's cane and commented on how it's a cool color. And Matt comments on, wouldn't know. <laughs> blind joke. Yeah, he drops it and Ben has to like pick ben, it up Ben for like him. is already on to him at that point. Yeah. By that. Now, I think the best thing about it is the fact that he doesn't, or he comments on the color, which is just red yeah and not on the fact that it's got this crazy like comedy tragedy devil faces yeah, on the it, top yeah. of the knob of it yeah it's a good point. Uh, so this is the, this is immediately what proves to ben Yurick that <gasps> matt murdoch is daredevil and i guess that means that kevin smith got paid enough money for this uh he, he apparently didn't tell kevin smith what this means to him no but we then also have a meeting where uh bullseye goes back to the kingpin uh, and basically says, I'm mad. 
because Daredevil made me miss, and I don't like that, and I want to kill him now. And Kingpin says, you know what? How about you kill Elektra, and I'm sure Daredevil will show up, maybe. And <laughs> Bullseye responds with, yeah, fine, that's great. By the way, I want a costume. Hint, he doesn't get a costume. No, he doesn't. <laughs> oh, why does he say that? I thought that was up too. He's so I'll upset. touch on that later on. He wants a costume. The next day, Ben Urich hunts down Matt Burdock and finds him and tells him that maybe he should know that when the Kingpin kills somebody, he doesn't just kill them, he kills their whole family. And uh, maybe Matt should tell a friend of his about that. And Matt Murdock's like, oh, good point. <laughs> and leaves. <laughs> and we immediately then, I guess, go to nighttime because we get into the Evanescence montage. Ooh. Oh, God. Is this Wake of... Me Up Inside? Yes, yes, it is. Oh, yeah. Classic. So now Electra, <laughs> planning her revenge against Daredevil, is training in a dance studio that she apparently also... Retrofitted. Um, yeah, she retrofitted with sandbags on ropes to drop on a timer. Yeah, how? Who's dropping these ropes, and why would you? Why wouldn't you do this outside? As You're she just making is, a mess. As she is jumping around and stabbing and slashing them with size. Here's a quick note: size are not slashing weapons. <laughs> <laughs> They're stabbing weapons, aren't they? Yes. yes. There is a pointy end, not a serrated edge. Yeah, there's yeah. no. That's a good point. How's this? So even as she is doing this, we also then have little bits of yet again Daredevil suiting up to go out and fight crime. What I love about this scene is that they legitimately sync it up so that every time the male vocalist of Evanescence is singing, oh, cuts to him, it's Daredevil, <laughs> and then when it goes to the female, it goes back to Elektra. <laughs> because this song speaks so much about them, On especially the, the line where the guy says that he was lost in the dark and couldn't see. Oh, oh. man. On the nose. Everything in this movie. Uh, so at which point Daredevil then goes out deciding to, I guess, patrol the rooftops for Electra. And you know what? He finds her. Yeah. On a rooftop where she was laying in wait. Because I guess she knew he would find her, That's which funny rooftop. enough, <laughs> I was going to say, which funny enough, he was doing by smell. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> uh, they get into a little scuffle where yet again, the two of them are fighting. Now, what I find interesting is they did not decide to ever call back to the initial fight between these two. Which would have helped kind of lay down the foundation before the reveal to her that Daredevil is Matt. They fight. He says he doesn't want to fight her. She tries to do her best intimidating voice by saying, good, then this will be quick. And I immediately went, God, you are not intimidating. Uh, they scuffle, they scuffle, blah, 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 blah. She stabs him. And apparently getting stabbed in the shoulder with a sigh is the same as getting shot in an artery because he falls to the ground and is immediately on death's door. Yeah, it just <laughs> takes him out. It's like it went through his shoulder, you fucking pussy. What are you doing? So she takes off his mask, sees that it's Matt, and suddenly she's really sad. But by the way, Bullseye found them <laughs> because I swear to God, there because has to story. be story. There because is a story. scene somewhere that they had to have established that he is a 
fucking psychic. Uh, all right, or Matt's just easy to find. Also, everybody can just find him. Electra gets the drop on him. Bullseye gets the drop on him. Also, why does she just immediately assume that he's innocent instead of being like, Matt, why'd you kill my dad? Why did you kill my dad? <laughs> yeah. I told you I didn't. I told you it was a guy named Bullseye. Oh, by the way, that's Bullseye. That's him right there. <laughs> so she then says, oh, great. Well, then I'm going to go kill him. And Matt goes, no. You, you like, he's too much for you. You won't win. How do you know? <laughs> he just, when have you ever seen this man fight hand to hand? He doesn't even know who he is. I mean, he's met him once. And that's the thing. He says it was an assassin named Bullseye. How oh, do who, you know? Who, never. Nobody ever <laughs> told no him his told name. you. Yes. Now, granted, <laughs> maybe Yurik told him, but I didn't actually see that scene, it's which I will explain later. Okay. So she fights Bullseye and Bullseye hands her her own ass. And not only that, she goes to throw her sigh at him, and he catches it, and he throws it back at her. And when she goes to catch it, it goes right through her hand. He throws things really hard. He's good at this. <laughs> He's good at throwing things. <laughs> so she then pulls the sigh out of her hand and uses her hand like she didn't just pull a sigh out of it. <laughs> yeah. Because you know what you couldn't do with that? Grip. Yeah. <laughs> Close your hand. <laughs> So they have a bit of a fight. She is not doing well. And he runs her through with a sigh. So bad that it comes out of her back, but not through her little leather vest thing. Well, they were trying to do the Frank Miller cover of the thing where it, that's what it looks like. So. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Yes, they were. And I guess they did. Why not? Yeah. He won. She lost. And then. Oh, by the way, I guess the cops are coming. Yeah. Because suddenly there is an NYPD helicopter that announces itself as NYPD Ariel. Yeah, no shit, cops. Like, you got to say you're Ariel. Stay uh, stay where you are. Or what? Uh, you know what? Bullseye doesn't stay where he is. And in <laughs> fact, he Batmans his ass out of there again. Yeah. So then Electra crawls herself over to Daredevil and they have this little please don't die moment and she dies. And then he runs away because apparently he was dying just before, but now he's well enough to outrun the cops. Now he's fine. He runs off to the church and lo and behold, we are back to the beginning of the movie. So now to get back to the flashback again, <laughs> uh, this has all been a flashback that I yes. guess Matt was telling to the priest. So this was a flashback. This, this whole, is yes. all a flashback. Oh, two thirds of this two acts are in flashback. And who is he fucking talking to in the narration? I don't know. The best part is I, it can't really be a confession because the first line when he does the whole even a blind man has his life flash before his eyes is yeah. in voiceover in real time. So that means he's not saying this to anybody. No. It's all inner monologue again something that works on in the comics on the page that not tells so me much here. yes for about 60 minutes now matt murdoch has been laying on the altar of this <laughs> yes. church with this priest just going matthew matthew, <laughs> matthew at him uh bullseye shows up because yet again he just finds daredevil yes how did so, he know he was at the fucking church <laughs> he read the script Oh, that's right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt then stands up and says, well, I have to finish this fight, despite the fact that I'm apparently dying. And the priest is like, no, don't do it. You can't do it. You're not in shape for this. And he goes, oh, shut up, priest, <laughs> and tells him to leave and call the cops. The priest does. 
and Bullseye picks up the little uh, dish that they tend to have, like, the Eucharist on, which is in the back of the church for some reason, and whips it at Matt, who doesn't see it coming, because he's blind, and takes it right to the throat. <laughs> he would be dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this man, that doesn't go through his throat? This man drove a stick through a guy's heart yes. from 400 yards away. <laughs> That plate would have taken his head off. Yeah, yeah, it just bounces off his neck. Bounces off his Adam's apple. He yeah. coughs for a moment. And now, apparently, that was all he needed to not be hurt anymore. Because <laughs> they then get into a fight that causes them to go climbing up the organ up into the belfry of this church. Yeah, this is where he's jumping oh, like this he is the, has superhuman legs. This is the legs. worst CGI ever when they're this jumping This is such a Schumacher. It it's a Schumacher action scene with no, 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 like. No, no, no. No, this isn't even Schumacher. Yeah. This was Guillermo del Toro Blade 2 CGI fight. Ah, yes. And NYPD has now shown up, which, by the way, I may add, is the quickest response time New York police has <laughs> ever had, ever. Because I'm pretty sure that priest probably still hasn't made it to a phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the two of them are fighting up in the rafters in the bell tower, whereas we then have Bullseye realize that sound is a problem for Matt, and he starts ringing the bell and slamming the organ pipe so that Matt can't see anything. And just as he is about to go driving a stick that he sharpened through Matt's heart, he, Matt is able, through all of this residual noise, to hear that a sniper across the street is getting ready to fire. At what? I don't know. Yeah, who's which? Because who's it is at? going through a fucking stained glass window. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Before that happened, I forgot all about this, was the bit where uh, Bullseye throws all of his little fucking throwing stars again, and Matt catches all of them in uh, his, his stick, his baton. Yeah. So, in order to get more projectiles, Bullseye kicks out a stained glass window, is able to catch Everything. a crap load of these pieces yes. in just piles in his hands. Yes, it's like, like one of those scenes stacked. where they're like, you're, yeah. you're catching all the plates. Yes. yes. Yeah. And then he throws them, all of them, at Matt. He just slides them off his hands. He's not yes. even throwing them. He's just like... Like, He's like paper pieces of paper. Yeah, he just he just like like tossing a frisbee. He's making it with rain. Both hands. Stained yeah. glass. Yeah. And now Matt is dodging all of these frisbee glass pieces by just doing uh, backhand springs. Yeah. Okay. He's doing backhand so springs in, in the same direction backwards. In line, yeah. in Lines. line, while he's throwing at Bullseye, who never misses, doesn't touch him. This is uh, so Spider-Man 1, Green Goblin in the burning building where he's like jumping around. Also, wasn't there a part where Matt throws one of the, the throwing stars back at Bullseye and it lands like flat on his face and not like on the edge? Uh, no, 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 no. There's, there's a bit from the director's cut that you're oh, thinking. Oh, that's in ah. that. I was like, well, how did that in happen? The, in the director's cut, after he takes the plate to the throat, he yeah. then hits Bullseye in the face with his billy club. Okay. He throws it across the church at him. Okay. And Bullseye, who isn't blind, yeah. <laughs> doesn't move. <laughs> All right, so then they're up in the rafters. He's been making a bunch of noise. He's about to try and stab Matt with, uh, to death with a, uh, a pike. Uh, and Matt somehow, I guess, just pulls Bullseye's hands into the path of the sniper bullet. Yeah. So it goes through both of his hands, and we then have a moment where Bullseye falls to his knees in the rafters of a church, holding his hands with holes in them out to his sides. 
begging Matt for mercy. Yeah, stigma, stigmata much, anyone? <laughs> to which point, Matt shows him mercy by throwing him out of this window and having him fall like the Joker from Batman. Yep. All the way to the street where he lands on Ben Urich's car. They then all watch him run off over the rooftops. Wait, is that one line not in the regular cut? The line? Okay. Uh, which which line? Yeah, which line? Where, so after he throws him out, they show him and he's standing there and Ben just goes, bullseye. <laughs> and I was like. Oh, actually, I think it is. That's, I was ben, like, that's, that's, that's what Matt says. Matt says yeah. he goes. Yeah, he does say. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, his one liner is bullseye. Goes, and I'm like that. That right there. I would there have rather. I would have Welcome to the party, pal. Welcome to the party. <laughs> I was like that right there is why this movie is our, our great what the fuck pick. Because he says bullseye so bad. As if he was aiming for Ben Urich's car. <laughs> but how do they let a reporter drive into a crime scene right up to the church? Yep. He just he just pulls up right next to the cop cars. <laughs> but what I forgot to mention was during all of the fighting in the the, the Belfry, um, Bullseye is monologuing about how Kingpin, Wilson Fisk, had hired him to kill him. Oh, my God. And Daredevil's so, like, yeah. Fisk is the Kingpin? <laughs> like, uh, Yeah. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that part. Needless monologue. Well, that, that's no always the, the worst part is when the, the protagonist finds something out as a rele- revelation that the audience knew the whole yes. time. Yes. So now that he knows Wilson Fisk is the kingpin, he's off to go get him. Meanwhile, at Fisk Industries or Fisk Incorporated or whatever the hell this building is, <laughs> Wilson Fisk just happens to know Daredevil's coming for me. He somehow knows I'm the kingpin, and he won, I guess? <laughs> oh, right. I think I think Wesley tells him Bullseye failed. Oh, yeah. And so he goes, well, then he's coming here. I guess you probably shouldn't have hired Bullseye if you knew this man would tell Matt Murdock that you're the kingpin. <laughs> <laughs> so he sends everybody home. He strips down to his undershirt and just waits. So Daredevil shows up. And we now get Daredevil versus Kingpin in what is the most shoehorned final fight scene of a movie. Oh, yeah. The two of them get into a fist fight. Matt is injured. He's obviously not winning. And they've only had, it up to this point, one interaction, right? Where, yeah. yeah. Yeah, where they... He, they met at that, at the party. that ball. Yep. Yeah. So there is really no momentum for these two to even meet again. No, nope. there's no nothing history. Nothing, nothing... Yeah. Nothing... Like, the only thing that you wind up learning is they pull a bit of a Batman yep. uh, and like a Burton Batman. Yeah. Because once uh, Fisk beats the shit out of him and takes his mask off, he then sees it's the blind lawyer from hell's kitchen and starts laughing mm-hmm. and then immediately t- comments on how he knows exactly who Matt is. Remembers murdering Matt's father. Yeah. It was like, I was working for Fallon at the time and I killed your dad. And it's like, Oh, so you're the reason I'm Daredevil. That's not a good enough excuse no, for you no. to already be here and have had your ass kicked. I no. hate, I hate that. They, I hate when they do that. They gotta tie it all together and shoehorn that so, shit in. Now that Fisk is monologuing, yeah, Matt realizes, hey, you know what's pretty interesting about this office? There's just random bits of moving water behind <laughs> glass. Yeah, good thing there's columns of water on the wall. You know what's great about water? I once remember somebody telling somebody else that if water hits a surface for the first time, it makes a sound that lets me see in heavy detail. <laughs> so Matt then breaks a whole bunch of these water fixtures, which had to be under a lot of pressure. Yeah. Because they 
fire water out all over the place like they are hoses. And now Matt can see where Fisk is, which apparently he couldn't before, which made for a really bad choice to fight him. (laughs) And now that he sees where Fisk is, he punches him a few times, he slides across the floor, and he breaks both of his knees. (laughs) So while Fisk is on his knees, screaming in agony at the fact that both of his knees are now shattered, Matt picks up his walking cane, or his pimp cane, whatever it is, and holds it as if he's about to try and cut Fisk's head off with it. Yeah. And instead drives it into the ground next to him, and then just drops it. He finally learns mercy. He could have just dropped it. I don't know why he (laughs) slams it into the ground next to him as if, like, see, I could have killed you. He then basically comments on how, oh, by the way, words out that you're the kingpin somehow. And how does he, yeah, how does he know uh, that? I could hear the, I could hear the police radios and they're all coming here to arrest you. So you're going to jail. Uh, justice has been served. Wink. I'm out of here. But he just murdered a whole bunch of people. Why is he stopping now? Not the guy who actually killed his dad. And he decides not to kill him. I, uh, I, Cause I, he's not the bad guy. Imran. I mean, he says that he goes, I'm not the bad guy. I'm not the bad guy. He leaves. Uh, We basically get a neat little wrap up where Ben is about to write up a story about how Matt Murdock is Daredevil and then decides to delete it because uh, that's not cool. Uh, uh, By the way, how does a delete button work exactly? Can somebody explain? I love I love that I put I wrote down in my notes. um, This movie doesn't know how computers work. (laughs) This is 2003. The websites they show you look horrible. So Ben. Hits the delete button once. Why is there a delete button right next to print? And, yeah, and there's Who like a made print this keyboard. <laughs> That's very confusing. He, you see him tap it once, and then it just continues to scroll it's, delete back. It is all as of if it on he held own. down the yes, backspace. But he clearly just pressed it once. I was like, these people don't know how computers work. So now that Ben has decided not to tell people that Matt Murdock is Daredevil, he walks outside to see Daredevil <laughs> on the roof right across the street. And he just kind of gives him a little nod and is like, go get him, Maddie, while Ben Affleck's telling this whole voiceover about how, uh, you know, I have to be out there to be the one saving people because I'm Batman. I mean, Daredevil. (laughs) I wish I was Batman. This is not the Batman movie I thought it was going to be. And he goes diving off of a roof in CGI to go swing away into the credits. Yes. And in the middle of the credits. Yeah. Oh, we get a little taste to let us know that Bullseye is not dead. As he is in a hospital in multiple casts and bandages. Oh, yeah. And is annoyed by a fly in the room. (laughs) Yes. Which he then kills by somehow tossing a syringe with fingers that barely move. Yeah. And pinning it to a wall. The guy's good at throwing things. You got to give him that much. (laughs) Which now tells me I don't think he's so much psychic as psychic and telekinetic. (laughs) He's a magician. And that ah. is the theatrical cut of Daredevil. Yay, roll credits. Talking nerd. Well done. Let's take a quick break here. I got to play some promos of some indie podcasts, and we'll be back to figure out what the fuck happened with this movie. After these messages, we'll be right back. Do you like sci-fi, AI, and technology? Do you enjoy going on tangents and down random rabbit holes of a subject? 
Then join me and my friends each week on Brokebot Mountain as some artificially intelligent people attempt to walk through a maze that explores themes of existence and free thought in sci-fi TV, movies, and books. The conversations are unique and bring an unusual perspective to the genre and can literally go anywhere. And we do mean anywhere. You can find us at BlazingCaribouStudios.com or look for Brokebot Mountain on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hi, I'm Mike White. And I'm Rob St. Mary. And we're the hosts of the Projection Booth Podcast. If you haven't heard of the Projection Booth, that's okay. But we think it's time that you have. We've been doing this for over three years now. And we think we're doing a pretty good show. Every week we look at a different film and put it in context. We try to bring you interviews with the people behind the films. Or experts on a subject matter covered in the film. We don't specialize in any one particular genre or type of film. We try to examine every aspect of cinema. From every corner of the globe. Even at three years, we barely just scratched the surface. But we're ready. We're ready for you to listen to us. That's right. Now's the time to give us a shot. Download us through our free smartphone app. Or through Stitcher, iTunes, Geek Juice Radio, Jackalow. Or our website. Projection-booth.com. We'll keep making great shows. Now it's your turn to listen to them. It's not just any day. It's Mr. Throwback Thursday. Hey, this is Jamie. And this is Bill. And we are the Mr. Throwback Thursday podcast. Do you remember when the wheels were steel and the beats were real? We do, and we talk about it every Thursday. You can check out Woo News, One and Done, Record of the Week, and a whole lot more. That's Mr. Throwback Thursday, keeping it classic on iTunes, Stitcher, and at HighVoltageRadio.com. And always remember, new school stale, old school fresh. Now, before we get to what the fuck happened to Daredevil 2003, listener, we got a fan club. You, but thank you, thank you for listening. Thanks for supporting. If you want more show, join our awesome fan club. Matt Delhauer is a member of the fan club. Just visit slash Patreon. And for a low donation, you'll be helping us out and you get access to an exclusive podcast feed with hours and hours. There's got to be like. 15 hours of bonus content on there. We're adding every week, post shows, instant reactions to movies, pre shows, funny clips. There's lots of fun stuff to be had at the fan club. Delhauer, what happened? What the fuck happened? What do you got? Well, nothing. They were just trying to make a movie. (laughs) (laughs) They literally were trying to. Honestly, that's actually about it. You could sum (laughs) it up in that sentence. Yeah. What I'm going to do, because this is a very interesting case for what the fuck happened, is I'm going to go through what there is in the director's cut of the movie. Okie dokie. Because a lot of what happened to this movie was that they gutted it to make it PG-13. Ah, yes. So, a lot of the opening of the movie is pretty much the same. Uh, There isn't really too big of a difference until we get deeper into like the end of act. One. Let me just throw into the, the daredevil fans of this movie online always point to the director's cut as yeah. you should watch this. Cause it's, it's way better. I've seen a lot of articles that have talked about how like the director's cut was the movie we deserved and so on and so forth. Before I even get into that, I wanted to bring up this thing I saw online talking about the, the pre-production of this movie, the movie itself. Like now, unlike things like, uh, like fantastic four, where you had like it was a train wreck uh, behind the camera and everything right. like that. Yeah, this movie really didn't have any problems. Yeah, 
it bounced around to a couple of studios in the late 90s because Marvel was going bankrupt and really wanted money. Mm -hmm. And eventually it landed at Fox. Fox brought on Mark Steven Johnson because I'm assuming most likely because he was cheap uh, (laughs) because he had not really I don't think he had directed anything before Simon Birch. One movie. Ooh. All right, so he had directed a movie before this. Other than that, he had written a few things, such yeah. as Grumpy Old Men. And Grumpier Old Men. <laughs> Both of them. That epic. Yes. They brought on Mark Steven Johnson. He had written the script for the movie himself. Uh, a script that apparently Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool News yeah. had praised as being an amazing story for Daredevil. Oh, my God, really? And executive Kevin Feige. Yeah had stated was one of the strongest comic book scripts Marvel had ever seen. Did they they read the fucking same script? What were they reading? And this is after Spider-Man. Yeah. (laughs) It must have looked better on paper or they gave him a different script. And here's what I think it was. They read this director's cut. Oh. Because the director's cut of this movie is actually passable. Yeah. It doesn't answer for some of the more strange choices, like what the hell they were doing with Bullseye. Yeah. But it does actually give you a more coherent story to follow and actually more interesting aspects to characters. And it has one of my favorite uh, roles in this movie that was completely cut out. And that is Coolio. Yes. So Coolio never, there was a whole subplot with the Coolio in the middle and he was hilarious. I thought those parts were great. Uh, he was never uh, seen the this. entire. So what they do is the, the director's cut adds in a few bits and pieces here and there, but it adds in an entire subplot that yeah. they completely cut out of the movie. Yeah. So little bits and pieces were things like uh, extended dialogue, you know, in his flashback, a little bit more added into the montage of him training the fight with the bullies was longer. It was a lot of slapstick humor of him just knocking Anthony Jr. in the face with his yeah. cane. Yeah. But ultimately, it really picks up steam in a couple of spots. Number one is the fight at Josie's bar is longer. Yeah. Far more violent. Yes. And included titties. <laughs> yeah. And people like die by like straight bullets. Like there's some people getting there's, killed because there's a bit where, you know, when they first show up, uh, Caseta's at the bar talking about how, oh, you know, here's to me for getting out of, uh, you know, basically being, I guess, fined for raping a woman. Yeah. Uh, Josie behind the bar basically telling him he's an asshole. Yeah. A bunch of dudes trying to do burnouts on their motorcycles in the bar. Yeah. <laughs> Some chick just flashing her tits at yeah, people. and shaking her ass. Yeah. And then when Daredevil finally shows up and the fight starts, it's a lot more of him, like, breaking bones, people yeah. getting bloody, and then people trying to shoot at him. They bounce off of the uh, fan that he's on. Ricochet off and shoot and hit other people. These guys have the worst aim. They can't hit a fucking guy on the fan just hanging out on a fan. Nobody can shoot him. Some of the dialogue is a little bit different, like when he tracks down Caseta in the uh, subway just before he trips him up. Caseta pulls his gun on him and tells him to go to hell, Diablo. <laughs> and uh, Daredevil responds with, well, you're going to beat me there. And then trips him and he falls. Okay. <laughs> uh, the biggest difference honestly comes in the the plot with Coolio and with how the relationship with Elektra progresses and is seen in the movie. Okay. Uh, the fight scene between the two of them is a little bit longer, but there is actually no scene of them walking around New York City her, and her talking about how daddy taught me I needed to never be a victim. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Instead, 
They get into a fight. She gives him her name and she leaves with the bodyguards. Yeah. He then meets up with Foggy at the courthouse because they're there for a hearing on a guy. Oh, okay. Hold on. I got to take a step back for this whole thing. So after he kills Caseda and he goes home, there's this really cool sequence where he's about to get into his uh, salt water bed. Yeah, I didn't understand this part. And he hears someone yelling and screaming for help. Yeah. And then suddenly we are seeing this woman in his room being shot and crawling around bleeding, like reaching out for him to save her right next to his, like he just kind of goes, well, fuck it. And lays down into the, into his bed. And the thing closes. I I did not understand what was going on there. Really interesting visual concept of how this is how he perceives it. Because with his radar sense, it's like he's there. Oh, okay. I get it. So it's like he was there, but he can't do anything about it. So he's like yeah. visualizing it there. So yeah, it's, it's, he, 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 he hears the gunshot. He hears her like crawling and calling for help. And then when she collapses dead, it's like, well, I, I couldn't have gotten there in time anyway. And he keeps loose salt in a drawer for some reason. Uh, because he needs to add salt to the uh, sensory deprivation. I just thought tank. it was funny. I was like, oh, he's oh yeah, no, it's, it's a funny visual. Salt. <laughs> Well, no, he, they, this movie firmly does a does a very good job of establishing that you cannot relate to him at any at all. No, you can't. Yeah. So when he meets oh, up with Foggy, that's the girl. It's Lisa yep. Tazio. So when he meets ah. up with Foggy, he the two of them are meeting up with Coolio, who was arrested the night previously because he was found in an alleyway with a gun in hand that had recently been used to murder a hooker named Lisa Tazio. Yeah. He was passed out high. Doesn't remember it happening. But the cops say, we found him right on the scene with the gun in hand. Obviously, he's guilty. But with Matt listening to his heart rate, he could tell that, no, Coolio's innocent and we're going to defend him. Mm. There's a lot of scenes that happen with them in the court trying to convince uh, the court. You know, there's this whole kind of slapsticky comedy bit where while they're in court, Matt's trying to tell the jury that maybe Coolio's character isn't the best person in the world, but he's not a murderer. And then the whole thing is him facing away from the jury while he's talking to them, then turning around and being like, that's what it's like for, what is his name, Marcus or something like that? Yeah. Uh, Trying to talk to a wall. And then Foggy comes over and leads him back to the chair, and they do this whole bit where he almost falls down because he doesn't know where the chair is. Yeah. And, like, there's this little bickering moment between the two of them that I actually really like, where he's like, you always want to do the chair bit, and I always think it's too much. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, it was too much. It was too much. The relationship with Electra, the... Events occur differently, so she doesn't invite him to the ball after until after they have their whole uh, meeting up on the rooftop and him seeing her with the rain. But instead of it then leading to a sex scene, there is no sex scene. They meet on this. They meet on the roof. He sees her with the rain. They kiss, and then he hears the dude who works for Kingpin beating somebody up, and tells her, "I have to go," and he leaves, hmm. and just leaves her there on the roof. But to go home, change, and come back, and the guy is still beating up the fucking runs guy. Off, yeah, the runs thing. off, gets into his <laughs> costume, finds this dude, beats him up, and that's where he does his whole I'm not the bad guy bit. Well, also, I like the courtroom scene you were just talking about. The cop goes to testify to say oh, right, that right, he right. does do it, and Matt hears that his heartbeat is also normal, and he's like, wait, he goes, he's All right, not so lying. Somebody has to be lying, but neither yeah. of them, I can't hear either of them lying. Yes, yeah, so it was kind of an interesting mystery. I was like, huh, what, what's so, this? After Matt leaves uh, Electra high and dries, when she then invites him to the ball, he makes comment when they're there about, hey, sorry about the other night and leaving you. After everything that happens with Nachios getting murdered, there's then a scene of Foggy by himself in court trying to defend Coolio. 
and not doing a, not doing well. Yeah, he's not prepared. Uh, he's not prepared. He doesn't have the ability to read any of Matt's notes because they're all in Braille. And then he sees his notes, which makes comment about the fact that, oh, um, you know, Coolio never owned a handgun. And he's like, you know, do you own a handgun? No, sir. Would you ever own a handgun? No, sir. He's like, there you go. And then Coolio goes on this whole rant about, <laughs> yeah. you can't hit shit with a handgun. Now, a shotgun, <laughs> yeah. that's great, because it's great. got buckshot, which is like these little pellets that spray everywhere, and you don't even have to aim with that thing. And it's just <laughs> it's so it's, great. this great moment of Foggy just be like, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> and also, he keeps saying he smokes so much weed that he couldn't remember. I was like, wow, that has and to be a lot there's of There's a great little another call out to the comic where he says that he couldn't have been in that, he couldn't have killed Lisa Tazio because the last things he remembers is meeting up with his boy, Turk. Yes, mm. Turk gets okay, a name cool. drop, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, there's also a little bit where after Lisa is killed, um, Matt and Foggy break into her apartment to basically do their own little CSI investigation. Yeah. They find that she had written something on the desk that Matt can feel the impression of in the wood that is M-O-M-6-8. Right. So he goes, oh, great. There we go. Foggy's like, great. There's the evidence. The mom did it. <laughs> they keep going on through a few other things. They go to the ball. Nachios gets killed. Foggy has to defend him because Matt refuses to show up. At which point, I'm trying to remember how this comes along now. Oh, at the at the funeral for Electra's dad, which I didn't even mention there was a funeral. Uh, oh, Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole funeral scene with another Evanescence song. Of course there is. <laughs> uh, where it starts raining and Electra puts up her umbrella so Matt can't see wow. her, which is a huge kick in the ball. What an what ass. A, what a dick she is. <laughs> and that in the regular cut, that's about where it ends. In the extended cut, Ben Urich hunts down Matt because at this point he has also, I think, seen the cane and knows that he's Daredevil. Yeah. Uh, and basically tells him... I had an informant named Lisa Tazio that said she had a connection to the Kingpin, but never told me the guy's name. In, oh, okay, so in the ball, damn, I'm, I'm like, I, f- I have to keep jumping back and forth. Yeah, they really thing. chopped the shit out of this At uh, the ball, movie. Uh, after they meet with Fisk, Foggy winds up talking to Wesley for a little while. Wesley basically just calls him an asshole and says that we would never hire you, but still gives him his card. <laughs> Ben Urich says Lisa Tazio was informing on the Kingpin because she was connected to him through somebody she was seeing as a client, but didn't have, but never gave him a name. Later on, Foggy's in the office trying to figure out what to do about the case, and Karen comes up, looks at the piece of paper, and says, hey, what's this? He goes, oh, the only piece of evidence that we have in our case, and the only thing Matt has contributed to it. And she goes, oh, well... Does, what does it mean? He goes, I don't know. It doesn't mean anything. And she says, well, when was the date of the murder? He says it was on August 9th. And she looks at the piece of paper and flips it upside down. And it says 8-9-W-O-W. At which point, Matt tells Ben Urich the fact that Lisa Tazio was informing on him, or I was informing on the Kingpin, he should get in touch with Foggy. Foggy then goes looking through his cards because he noticed that Wesley was wearing cuffs that said W-O-W on it, sees his name as Wesley Owen Welch. So, well, uh, Foggy gets in touch with Ben Urich, tells him that Lisa Tazio's informant was Wesley Owen Welch, who works for Wilson Fisk, which means Fisk must be the kingpin. Listener, if you're having trouble following, don't be uh, alarmed. I am too. 
<laughs> Ultimately, it's a lot more of a convoluted way of them finding out that Fisk is the kingpin. And it explains how the cops know at the end of the movie. Because Matt didn't tell them. And Matt was the only found out when Bullseye told him. Well, but the, how did this, how did it get to, because they find out that Coolio, the Coolio case, that uh, the the cop owned a weapon that was used. And there's this great bit that has a lot of character development in the so, car. The big thing that we learn is Ben Urich, when he meets up with Matt at the funeral, says that Lisa Tazio was informing on the kingpin but also says that the police officer that arrested Coolio's character recently just bought a very expensive Mercedes. Oh. And cops don't have that kind of a salary. Right. So Matt hunts down this cop to ask him who the kingpin is in his best Batman. Only the thing is, he doesn't do it as Daredevil. No, he does it as Matt he Murdock. He does it as Matt Murdock. Uh, driving a driving his car back and forth as so a blind, blind guy. blind lawyer Matt Murdock <laughs> just stumbles up to this cop, gets into his Mercedes with him, crashes it into a wall, and demands he tell him why he knows uh, the or who the kingpin is. The cops is like, oh my God, what are you even doing? He responds with, try to find out why your heart rate doesn't change while ripping open his shirt. Ed finds out the cop has a pacemaker. That's why he couldn't tell he was lying. So the cop then explains, oh, well, you know, the uh, the kingpin runs everything, and you're never going to be able to catch him. And he doesn't just kill you, he kills your whole family. Which is how we then get this whole bit where Matt goes, oh my god, Electra's in trouble. The only other major aspect is then after the whole fight with Electra, which is a little bit more bloody, and in it, Colin Farrell comes off as really rapey during it. <laughs> After he runs her through at the side, yeah. there's a close-up where he then presses his face against hers and basically kisses her. Yeah, yeah. And then after the whole fight at the church, when he then lands on the car, Yurik goes to talk to the detective who's there and basically tells him, I know who the kingpin is and I know how we can get him. We have to find Wesley Owen Welch. Yeah. So after Fisk sends him away, he apparently went to a bar to go drown his sorrows this cop finds him immediately <laughs> and basically tells him, uh, you're going to go ahead and you're going to turn on Fisk and tell us everything we need to know about him being the kingpin for a plea bargain out of your out of the murder of Lisa Tazio. With the fact that Wesley Owen Welch has now been arrested for this murder, Coolio's character is uh, absolved of all charges. And after... Matt takes on the kingpin. They have a big moment at the end where he and Foggy are basically saying, uh, congratulations to Coolio for getting out of your murder charge. He is constantly hugging Foggy yeah. and telling him he owes him. And it's a pretty good comedy scene. Yeah. And here's a scene that they had in it. That honestly was one of the few I feel absolutely should have been cut out. Yurik then walks up to Matt and tells him, by the way, I am going to write the story about you being Daredevil. Yeah. I don't care if it's bad for you. I'm a reporter and this is what I do. Yeah. And leaves. What confuses me is Yurik doesn't seem to remember that Daredevil has killed people. <laughs> and those people weren't even threatening to out him as Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Why would he be like, so this when, dude will murder when me? When he does his story that does the whole bit with the delete button where it, it erases the story and he walks outside, it makes more sense that Matt is looming over his yeah. apartment. It's like, I will murder your ass if you print this thing. But that's So the director's cut has this whole subplot. It makes the relationship between him and Elektra a little more tense and a little bit weirder 
in the fact, I mean, yeah. maybe not weirder. It's, it's a little more understandable in the idea of she doesn't bang him after being like, you know, basically beaten up and sat in the rain. And the fact that he is so aloof with her explains why she seems so determined to be with him because he is basically gaslighting her. <laughs> <laughs> and then the whole Coolio plot gets you to understand how they find out that Wilson Fisk is the, the kingpin without it just being convenience of the plot. It's just a slightly more coherent movie. There's still the shitty dialogue and CGI. There's still terrible and, lines. Yes. The costume design is weird. The CGI is still shitty. Oh, yeah. Colin Farrell is still a delight. <laughs> Colin Farrell, it looks like he's um, enjoying every single minute of being able to ham it he up. He had yeah. fun. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else did. Yeah, Maybe Michael Clark Duck. Oh, that was the thing. The, the introduction to Kingpin is so much better. Yeah. Because he finds out that apparently somebody has been talking about the Kingpin because it's in the in the, the papers. So this is to set up that uh, Lisa Tazio was talking and that's why uh, Welch kills her. But he also does this whole line to Wesley where he says, you know, in ancient times, kings would actually cut out the tongues of their bodyguards so they couldn't tell up anybody anything. And then murders both of his bodyguards with his bare hands. Jesus yeah, Christ. While, then he's while screaming. Like, he, yeah, screaming, just this primal, angry scream as he bashes one's head in yeah. and breaks the other's neck. So, like, this is the first thing you see well, when you that's meet That's a lot Kingpin. better. It's, just, it's a little oh, yeah. bit better. Because, because, honestly, even at 15 years old, I'm like, that's just fucking Michael Clark Duncan. I don't think he's yeah, that intimidating. No, they didn't show you. They didn't develop anything with the Kingpin in the theatrical. And cut. the bit that I love in the director's cut is right after he does that is he then has his meeting with Nicholas Nachios. Yes. Who saw him do this uh, he's sitting in the and next still room. is like, I uh, want to get out. Uh, uh, I don't want to be I don't want to be tied to your, your thing anymore. And he's <laughs> he's like, oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. The main thing is the whole Lisa Tazio bit with uh, that. That really is the structure now, throughout the thing. I'm assuming that was the script that got shopped around. That was the script that got Johnson the job. That was the movie they made. And then the problem was Fox was not willing to go the route of a rated R superhero movie. But would that even have been rated R? It didn't seem yes. like that. Yes. Was Imran, come really? on, dude. A lot more bloody titties? violence. There is more blood. Yeah, and there's titties. titties. And the, the line from Colin Farrell of, I want a bloody costume, is actually, I want a fucking costume. Oh, yeah. Yeah, at that point, they'd... Fox had just seen X-Men and Spider-Man make a, a good amount of money being PG-13 and it had to pivot. They didn't trust Actually, their... I think the first X-Men was PG. Mm. Uh, you might be right. But I also might be wrong. <laughs> um, and I'm too lazy to check. Uh, so this this rated R movie that is very heavily influenced by Tim Burton's Batman and The Crow was something that they said, at this point, we don't want to get behind because we really want to get the money back from it. It was and PG-13. They, they kind of just barely got the money back from it, PG-13. Yeah. So they cut a lot of stuff out, which they then decided also to rearrange pieces for whatever reason. They had to add in random exposition scenes because things that they learned in the uh, subplot had to be learned somewhere else. So that's why Ben Urich just shows up on a street corner and goes, Electra's going to die and then leaves. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes very short and punctuated. Uh, it is a great example of like a pre Chris Nolan MCU. And I find movie. it very funny that a rated R version of this movie was one where in order to make it PG-13, they had to add in a sex scene. 
Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that's weird. This is also a good example of a era, uh, an era where they were still trying to find their footing, and this was the first of its kind to be like, "Yep, that we're not making a sequel for that. That's a failure." <laughs> this is not well. They you, you had know, Blade, it was a weird... you had Spider Man, you had yeah, X Men, yeah. which all were like, "Yep, all let's get a sequels. sequel for all of those." Daredevil was like, "Nope, we did it wrong." The funny thing was with Daredevil, what I think the biggest issue that faced it, but I also at the same time can't fault it for this, was it was like Green Lantern was just cut and paste of all these other things yeah. that worked in yep. other movies yep. before it. Yep. So you've got yep. the Spider-Man CGI yep. roof jumps. Yep. You've got the weird, dark, gothic version of New York City like the crow. Mm-hmm. The leather outfit out of X-Men. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Sam Raimi and Joel Schumacher and Tim Burton yep. cinematography. Then, yep. well, it's all of those things. And then you things. throw in, so how are we going to make this unique? Well, we're going to focus on the fact that he's blind. Well, you didn't do anything to make me like the guy. You just All you <laughs> did was make yeah. him really fucking weird. You've proved to me that a man with a, this kind of a debilitating handicap could still be a shitbag. <laughs> yes. This is a uh, an impaired person I would call a dick to his face. <laughs> and here's the funny thing. While they did not go directly for a Daredevil sequel, it still made enough money that they decided to greenlight Elektra as yep. a spinoff, which was written by the... Uh, Mark Steven Johnson. I, oh, my God. I keep <laughs> I feel so bad that I keep wanting to call him Mark Evan Jackson. But who's that? He is a he's a comedian and an actor. Okay, who is good at what he does? <laughs> okay, we apologize. And the fact that they have three names, I'm constantly like, it's not him. What is the guy's name? <laughs> we apologize to Mark Evan Jackson because you are no Mark Steven Johnson. But yeah, so it really and even when the 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 director's cut finally came out on DVD, they had a uh, a commentary with Mark Steven Johnson where he said, "This was the movie I wanted to make, mm. not the one that came out in theaters." And he himself had pushed really hard for the director's cut to come out because he felt the movie that people saw was not the movie that should have been seen. Yeah. And they all know it. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, it doesn't make everything amazing. But it at least makes up for a few very glaring plot problems. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you're like, What? No, I mean, this is the time where, like, they're transitioning. First of all, Daredevil wasn't a huge character, so that's a risk right away. The only reason that I think they went for Daredevil was, I'm sure, A, the the rights were cheap. Yeah. But at the time, his comic book was actually really popular, because this was coming off of a point where... Uh, specifically, Kevin Smith had been writing for Daredevil. It was for a Quesada while. and Smith uh, era, wasn't they it? They did the yeah. they did the Garden Guardian Devil yeah. story, which yeah. that whole him hanging on the cross on top of the church uh, yes. image came yes. from. Yes, yes. And it, it, there was a little bit of a resurgence because that that darker superhero story was big in the comics, but so yeah. much so that after this movie came out. Marvel decided they wanted to capitalize on it, and they made the character of Bullseye in the comic decide to run around in a black leather trench coat and cut the Bullseye logo into his own forehead. Instead of just wearing it on his mask on top. I mean, like, between that and, like, you clearly tell the studios, like, this is supposed to be for kids, it's a comic book movie, but we do want to market it to adults, we don't know they how to fucking know what they were doing. find that. They, they weren't sure. <laughs> yeah, they, they were, were not, not sure. sure. And, like, all the fan service is so, it's so Well, this is the like, same studio, although X-Men was a success at the time. Yeah. This is yeah. the same, it's Fox, and at the same, at, yeah. if you look at X-Men, 
they were running as far away as possible from what a comic book movie should look like. Absolutely. And especially what I find even funnier is going back nowadays, if you watch the first X-Men movie, that movie is just as convoluted as Daredevil. Yeah. That, that movie does not age well. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No. But at the same time, this year, we got X2, which is like one of the best paced uh, fucking X-Men movies. Uh, and from Fox also. I, I so would, it's actually, just crazy. I, I hate to be that guy, but I would actually say X2 like isn't that... I don't think X2 is as great good like as people X2. think it is. X2 is definitely better than the first X-Men. Yes. It paved the way for a lot of other superhero movies that came after it. But the problems that X2 had when you see them are also just as glaring. And I think the problem was was that this they were the first to be like, we don't know how to do a sequel to this. Yeah. So they picked apart a few different popular comic stories and said, everybody loved Wolverine in the first movie. Make it more about him. Make it. A, yeah. Make him be the center. I got to watch that again. I actually haven't seen that. in many, two, many, it, It's still yeah, enjoyable. It's, it's, it's a movie that's yeah. definitely going to be remembered as being a, a revel, you know, one of those that like stuck its flag and it's like, oh man, like these movies yeah. are serious, but yeah. like, yeah, it wasn't, it doesn't age well in my opinion either, especially mm. in the current climate of embracing comic bookiness and you still right, have them right. running around in black leather yeah yeah it's not i don't know if it's just jeans and a tank top <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, it looked no like costumes. fox was like okay we made x-men that was that did well so we leather's a thing yeah but let's try spider-man it man he jumps around yeah. a lot let's do that too want that like, too, like, yeah. like what delhauer said well <laughs> at the same yeah exactly is it's it's they took this worked this worked this worked people all loved these things if we put them all in one movie People are going to fucking love it. And it's so repetitive. Like, they do the crow thing where the thing reflects in in Yurik's glasses. But then throughout the movie, there's shit just reflecting off his glasses just clearly, like, all the time. Stuff reflecting off of the glasses, the the uh, reflective lenses in his mask. Yeah, yeah. In puddles. Yeah. So, oh, that's the one thing I noticed. The opening shot of the puddle, you're looking uh-huh. at the skyline with the big moon, right? Yeah. And you think you're looking at the skyline, and then you and there's a water drop, and you're like, oh, that's water, and it's and it pulls back, and it's a puddle in front of the church. And I'm like, how the fuck is the skyline reflecting flat on the floor in a puddle in front of a church? Yes. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Now, it would work great in a comic book. Uh, it doesn't work when you add motion and you actually pull back and you're like, I also love that this movie, one of the things like the, I love the moments you can easily see where you're like, oh, man, Mark Steven Johnson. Got it. Got it on that try. Yeah. <laughs> really loved the crow. He really because loved the crow. Bits, yes. bits like him just hanging out on a rooftop yeah. between two angel statues yeah. that are, mind you, also CGI'd into the scene. Oh, really? Because they don't exist. <laughs> Yeah, there's like it is every piece of every movie that's come before this. It all seems like together. to me because we've done a, a bunch of these now. A lot of times, like it, Delhar said, it's bad production. There's a lot of problems, a lot of too many cooks in the kitchen. This just seems like chalked up to they were still trying to figure out what the fuck a superhero movie is supposed to look like. Yeah, yeah it really was, yeah. especially yeah. this yeah. character. That's, yeah, it's why I said this one is very different for a lot of the ones that we've already done because it wasn't. Like somebody fucked up. It was they didn't know any mm-hmm. better. Yeah, 
Like, no one had seen X2 or The Dark Knight or anything like that. But it's also, so it, it's a movie that had to be made to get to where we are. Right. Exactly. You know? This, you know, this was one of the first instances of, if I just throw all of the good stuff into a bowl, yeah. does it make a giant good thing? Yeah, no, it doesn't. No. No, it doesn't. And then, you know, five years later, they show us with Iron Man how to fucking, this is what well, we're doing. Yeah, this I mean, is well, they did do. a bunch of other things, but yeah, Iron Man. Well, a bunch of other things, but. And Chris Nolan's Batman. Well, then you have Batman Begins, really. That's like the first thing that you're like, oh, oh, oh my God. Yeah. Talking about Batman Begins to go on a tangent yeah. for a moment. Yeah. I saw an article the other day that was talking about uh, deleted scenes from like Batman movies that absolutely should not have been in the movie. Yeah. Apparently, there was a point in uh, Dark. I think it was in Batman Begins that Chris Nolan was going to have. Uh, when he when uh, Bruce Wayne decides he's going to be Batman, it's because he has a dream where he is back in the cave where all the bats attacked him as a kid. Yeah, and then a bat that is the size of a man appears in front of him. Whoa! And is basically staring down at him. And this is where he gets the idea of a man-sized bat. A man Batman. bat. Mm. Oh! And so there was a man bat that they you can find a production photo. That they crafted a practical version of it, and you see a shirtless uh, Christian Bale standing in front of oh, it. Oh, shit. Was, I'm glad they yeah, cut that out. Not, I don't know if that would have worked. <laughs> it's very... No, it's, that, that was just a little too far into the mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. Subtlety. And it really would have taken me out of it. Yeah, they, 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 there's a good call for subtlety. Like, that's from the old era of these movies. So it's kind of like he made that decision. It's like, also yeah. from Batman vs. Superman, when oh, he yeah. has the dream where the man-sized I, bat comes out of his mother's grave and bites him. I was going to say, it's a very Zack Snyder sounding, even before the Zack Snyder. Not to go on too much of a uh, tangent. <laughs> good stuff. And, uh, and yeah. And again, really, the one thing they did right, I wish the show did a little bit more, was the radar. But good stuff, Delha. Well, I would say I also, I think, although his mask is leather, it does look yeah. better than the mask. Done. I kind of like the suit. It's, the big collar bugs me, but like it's redder. And I, I remember, don't know. I remember when this came out, there was uh, and it, a, co- a, a copy of, I think it was Toy Fair magazine yeah. in the comic shop yeah. by my house. Yeah. Where it just shows off all like the action figures and stuff. And the cover of it was the action figure they had for Daredevil from the movie. And you could actually see a better detail of the costume. And looking at it, I was like, I love the design of it. It was just that I was also 14 and yeah. didn't think to myself, like, a leather costume is stupid. <laughs> How are you breathing in <laughs> that? How do you breathe? How, you How do you move? How are you moving? Yes. How do you be an no, acrobat in leather? The design leather? is actually okay. If not, if not almost D's? right. Yeah, it's just the, the material is wrong. Yeah, you're like, how can you fucking be acrobatic in a tight leather fucking fitting thing? I actually, I love the look of the billy club and the and the, the art design that went into crafting that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that it actually has the Is double there any lock reason D. Another thing. Why was it just because they didn't? It was they didn't want to embrace comics. Why Electro doesn't wear red? Uh, I think it was to offset that the fact red. that he's already was already okay. in red. Yeah. So they put her in black. Got it. Because. I, I, apparently enough people weren't wearing black leather. She wears the red in her movie, doesn't in her she? Movie, she does yes, she does. On. Yeah. Wow, good stuff. Look, listener, if you like this, I'm going to give you all a little bit of homework. This is the sixth one, the seventh one. Check out the other six. And here's the movies we've done. I will put all these links in the show notes. Episode 41, we did Spider-Man 3. Episode 75 is 
Fan Fantastic Four from 2015. Episode 109, What the Fuck Happened to Batman and Robin from 97. And then we got on our Ryan Reynolds trilogy, where we did episode 128, Green Lantern, followed by episode 149 is R.I.P.D., and then the last one, 166, What the Fuck Happened to X-Men Origins Wolverine, all with Ryan Reynolds either featuring or starring or cameo role. <laughs> we had a little Ryan, really Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds run there. Ryan Reynolds run. Say that, and maybe, just had to take him say down that a peg. 10 times maybe, fast. maybe this is the start of a Mark Steven Johnson trilogy. Oh, no. I well, don't it's, know. It's funny that you mentioned that, Imran. Yes. Because I know I had spoken to you at one point. Yes. About the possibility of doing a Patreon only what the fuck happened. Oh shit. (laughs) Geek nerd. Yes. That is Electra. I think that would be a great I think that is the perfect platform because I don't think many people ever saw Electra. (laughs) Yes. It's a great follow up, and I can't thank you enough for offering to do that for our Patreon subscribers. Listener, another reason to join the fan club. There may be in the future, there will be an exclusive what the fuck just for the Patreon. When? I don't know. That's why you got to sign up. Visit jockernerd.com slash Patreon so you don't. Dollar a month, you asshole. Yes, you will get this. You won't I'm even it. doing it. Even yeah. the Delhauer, who's given us great content, is on the fan club. So, if I mean, if that isn't worth the price of admission alone, I don't know what is. Also, feel free to suggest a movie. Uh, tweet at us at Jock and Nerdcast. I, I like the idea of doing Dark Knight Rises. I kind of like gonna, that one, too. I know. Because I it's kind know, of off uh, the cuff. Yeah. Yeah, I also know, um, I think it was also Adam Morris that said he really wants to see us do uh, Masters of the Universe. Oh, he loves Masters <sighs> of the Universe. He's a huge He-Man fan. I find it funny that it's like he... I think he genuinely loves that movie. Yes. But he wants me to <laughs> he, make he fun of it. You know, it. <laughs> uh, I think that's the best. I think he knows what the movie is. Come on. You can love the movie, oh, but just absolutely. take a look at the movie. Plus, we've done two Marvel movies, so I think we need to balance One it of those. out with the we'll, DC. We'll figure it out. Yeah. All good stuff. Well, thank, dude, Delhauer, I can't thank you enough for all the work you put into this. It it, uh, it really means a lot, and uh, I don't get to, I don't have to do anything, so it was perfect for this week because a lot of crazy shit has been going on. Tell the listener where they can find you. Oh, the listener can find me on Twitter, currently as at Matt Delhauer. So my name will be spelled in the title of this. You'll be able to yes. spell it out properly. Yes. Uh, and I am happy to finally announce that after uh, New York Comic Con takes place in the beginning of October, we will actually be opening the doors on bringing Geek Chorus back. Yay. Oh. So the website will be getting set up uh, over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be trying to get the RSS feed so we can have all of the previous episodes out there. Uh, and then I will actually be getting things put together to have guests on and talk about things and whatever. Geek course. Are you changing the, R- you are changing the RSS feed. It will have a new feed. Yes. It's okay. going to be on its own site. So that way it's, you don't also have to listen to uh, the weekly jump. If you don't want to, sorry, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> He's fine. He understands. Uh, he gets all it. those links will be in the show notes listener. And if you want to hear more of me, check out a podcast called trivia geeks live and sketching comedy. Oh yes. That's another thing. Yes. Um, I don't know when it will actually air, but within the next month or two, I will actually be showing up on uh broke bot mountain. Oh, excellent. Over oh, nice. at blazing caribou where we will be discussing terminator. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. I like that. Um, so I look forward to going into full on, cinema nerd mode oh that'll be fun uh and seeing just how much 
I how much effort I put into this that Carrie may not. <laughs> well, all, listener, all I'm those. I'm sorry, Carrie. <laughs> all of those shows, Trivia Geeks Live, Sketching Comedy, Broke Pop Mountain, you can find at our friends, lovely network, Blazing Caribou Studios. And that will conclude what the fuck happened. Number seven. Thanks for listening to the Jock and Nerd podcast. My name is Imran. My name's Anthony. He's the jock. He's the nerd. We'll peep you next time. Guevanoche. Guevanoche, <laughs> everybody. Find yourself a nice Guevanoche and settle down with him. Why are you putting people frozen? Gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. My spider shits are tingling. Jogging nerd!